Welcome to the Crash Chords Podcast. I'm John. I'm Steve. And I'm Matt, a.k.a. Stormageddon. And today, well, today we're going to be doing something that is a little bit of faux pas. I'm going to be right up front with you. Is I found a band, All Them Witches. They were on Spotify. I looked at it. It was great. I enjoyed the music. I decided, hey, let's bring it on. 2015 release? Well, that's on the cusp. We can bring that on. It's two years old. It's, it's close enough. We, we kind of have a not-quite-firm-but-firm firm rule of don't go too old with your albums. We've stretched it in, within the last four years, I think, is pushing it. But, but anything within there is fine, pretty much. So I'm looking at Dying Surfer Meets and Maker, and I'm going, yes, cool, I'll bring it on. And then it was pointed out to me by Steve that there was another newer released album. Yet, when I first one on Spotify they did not have this album so for the first time in a really long time I don't think we've even done it before necessarily yeah, we have well we have wouldn't uh, Molly Molly uh, Hebert Wilson when she came on and brought the once she brought their previous record but their but their newest record was already out she just liked the other record more I'm sure okay. we've done it more recently than that nevertheless uh yeah, yeah so it won't be the most current of episodes uh considering their work but it's as current as it is in your heart well, Wait, oh, deep? because albums are eternal, right? Anyway, we're see, d- Steve's got me. We're doing all them Why? witches. I don't know. The album "Dying Surfer Meets His Maker." If that wasn't clear as I was talking earlier, and it's the inaugural episode for the week-long extravaganza Yay! of catching up in time for two fifty. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> catching up. Yeah, made it sound so grand before. It's like, no, we really yeah. need to catch up. Well, we want to yeah. uh, keep to our our, our actual. Bi-yearly schedule. Bi-yearly is acceptable in this case. Bi-annual. Bi-annual is how you would actually say it. Yeah, well, I put Um, the right words together just incorrectly. Yeah, due to personal issues, health stuff, and just traveling and other things, we've missed episodes here and there that we weren't able to make up in our normal fashion of doubling up or even tripling up. And so we're working to do... A series of five episodes leading into our two fifty. Two fifty. Wow. Yeah. Two hundred fifty. Five That's years. Crazy. The five year. Um, five years. But leading up into the two fifty and kind of making an extravaganza in the process. Um, I do know that our most devoted listeners are probably shaking their fist at us because I'm sure two hours is a lot to ask a week of us. So giving them like two hours, two hours a day is, is even more. Well, I'm know. saying in typically it's two hours a week. Considering our average these days, it might actually be like eleven hours worth of stuff maybe maybe even past that to yeah we could border on 15 i think but you know yeah. we'll see so uh check the titles if it's your thing <laughs> yeah exactly do it why not um, but today we're to kick off this week we're doing a little bit of a, a throwback sound um in that all them witches has been touted as psychedelic blues rock hard rock classic mostly rock with a a, a leaning towards the stoner side of all that sort of stuff. I was going to say, just say it. Stoner <laughs> rock. Yeah. I, I rarely see that right up front. Yeah. I won't call it stoner rock. I'll say it's those things with a stoner leaning. I, I uh, definitely I believe that bands do not set out their careers to be stoner rock. That is obviously well, just something that's been attributed to them. And we've talked about with a lot of genres that sometimes there are labels thrust upon them, not stuff they ever set out to be. Right. But, um, but stoner rock is a good descriptor for mellow, contemplative, and very vibration-oriented rock and roll. Sure, and there are definitely <laughs> you elements can smoke of that. Ash too. <laughs> which I mean, no, it's a little shallow on its own. When you add in something like THC, becomes a more interesting experience. Right. Um, but I guess. <laughs> all of that aside, I, I think the last time we actually did psychedelic was Os Mutantes, right? Um, 
true psychedelic, uh, yeah, that was Os Mutantes back in episode 79, but also, I don't know, also another one of John's picks, um, Heron Oblivion in episode That's true. 185. Yeah. yeah, they were kinda, considered... Kinda, kinda, kinda yeah. 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 So I don't I don't have a type, but I have a couple of types of music well, that I do enjoy. We all have leanings that we go back to, but, um, you know, I think it's interesting to dive back into psychedelic rock, because it's a genre, actually, for it being around as long as it has, that I'm not hyper-familiar with. I'm not a huge fan of Pink Floyd and the like. Like, you know, I like I like them well enough. Like, you would like a band that you respect, but I'm not super into their discography and love their albums. And so I'm always kind of at arm's length with psychedelics, but I always want to engage in it because there's stuff that I do like about it. I think that in general, it's really more of just a tool than anything else. Right. Oh, you could probably argue that about every single thing, about even every genre. But sure. definitely some, some artists, you know, really do stick by their genre. I think psychedelic is another... It's not as erroneous as stoner rock, but I do think it's still a little bit erroneous yeah. because it implies that every track is meant to just warp your brain and your mind when really it was just kind of a thread, a little offshoot of something that people already were kind of noticing was happening right. in prog rock and that's just I guess some people went a little bit more straight and unified with it and other bands went more visual with it and well, I think that's the only connotation that well, you could probably link to this album but it's not even there in every case. Well right and I think also I kind of consider it like I consider prog is like a super umbrella genre that then bleeds over into other things Right. and so you know that's kind of how I was always taking it but that said you can't ignore that psychedelia tends to have leanings towards classic rock because that's where its roots are, for sure. Yeah, hell, it's yeah. all classic rock. That's the, they, yeah, that's the super genre. Right, sure. Yeah, I mean, it, it burgeoned out of uh, experimental rock, right. which was the, the immediate precursor, which it burgeoned out of what we would just refer to as classic rock, which or rock and roll at of, the time, yeah. Well, it's not to say classic rock and rock and roll are actually separate things these days. Yeah, like, but rock at and the roll time, is up I to 64, like... 64 to 69 is like classic rock. Yeah, I guess. Rock and roll sure. is oldies. Yeah, yeah. that's which that's is true. a really sad term. Just stick with <laughs> rock and roll there. But uh, yeah, I think that. If you're talking about like newer, you know, psychedelic rock, then maybe that's the one little flaw in the argument is obviously then, yeah, bands, st if you're assuming that that is the goal, that that is the artist's goal to be more psychedelic with the experience, then that would probably be against the artist's wishes to be lumped in with classic rock. Right. And say that, yeah, sure, that's where the genre was born per se, and maybe I'm a couple generations removed from that, but must it always go back to that? Must we always go back to the core origin of something even when it's drifted wildly yeah i think people are also very much wanting to root things in a place that they can identify you know identifiers right. are really important so i think it kind of comes back to that yeah so we can hate genrefying until we desperately need it because we want to understand what we're looking at <laughs> yeah it's it's a tangled uh, web we weave <laughs> well first we practice to <laughs> i didn't deceive you <laughs> All right, well, let's. Uh, speaking of de uh, deception, let's take a look at this album cover because it definitely looks like someone was on something to make this cover. Yeah, it kind of upfront tells you at least at psychedelic. A yeah, just a, maybe even just a little hint of psychedelic as you have a split, and it's not an even split, and that actually bothers me ever so slightly for OCD. OCD. Re yeah, uh. it's a split mountain using two separate black and white negative photos, clear line through it. It's not drawn or anything like that, but you can see how the, the actual lining and coloration does not mesh up from one to the other. But it's a black and white negative photo. So well, yeah, and the top of the mountain removed. and the top of the mountain lines up really well, but the rest of the image does not. So there was some careful um, I guess positioning as it were for that, but the rest of it just kind of 
does set off your OCD because, like, the grass doesn't line up, and then there are rocks that are just cut in half. Well, I don't know. There's something a little curious about it because, of course, the, at the very bottom, it looks like there's an invisible line over which, um, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a line of symmetry. Mm -hmm. You can see toward the bottom, like, there's a perfect reflection of a couple of rocks and then the dust in between the rocks. You, it would be about, like, I don't know, uh, well, presuming you're holding, like, the, the jewel case, it'd be, like, maybe a centimeter or two off the bottom and then draw that straight across from left to right parallel to the bottom edge of like you could see it there's the whole bunch of reflections there it almost looks like uh toward the right side the right side of the other line right you can see these little like almost skeletons that are being flipped on one side i can almost make out like a like a pelvic shape there um but that may not be what i'm looking at it just almost kind of looks like it that way but the band members i'm pretty sure are definitely there on the right hand on the side. right hand side yeah just sitting uh, amongst it but you could easily miss that not uh, zooming in on the record cover it's because the mountaintop itself is drawn with a white line outline which mm -hmm. makes it look like a negative flip so your brain will automatically start like editing out detail work if you're already expecting something else you don't expect a beard to be dark in that position you expect it to be bright to be towards the wider end of the spectrum so you don't notice them right away well, well right which is why also i think it's not actually in a negative it's not no, a it's negative not but yeah, it's that lining effect it, it that does, actually yeah. caused it to come off as a negative but meanwhile the skyline is completely hand-drawn it seems um we'll you talk know. about i mean just in terms of uh artwork that i maybe dates the album a little bit like yeah. only because you know let's say when we were looking at something like atlas and we're like obviously he's going for an 80s feel so you'd look at that that sun and uh you almost want there to be like a palm tree and everything and it just anchors you back to a a style of art that seems to have been so locked inside a decade well this really takes you back just a decade earlier yeah. it's the kind of psychedelic art you saw probably on a lot of album covers on a lot of uh uh set design uh funky TV set designs, you know, in the backdrop. Um, but yet it looks like it was actually drawn with chalk. And yeah. that's kind of cool, because I never, almost never see that uh, used as a as an implement, I guess, to draw an album cover. Because well, also it, things aren't hand-drawn anymore. Most things are created digitally, whereas back then it was a career to hand-draw and do artistry for album covers. True, but we have had other... My point is, of course, we still look at... Every now and then we look at a hand-drawn album yeah, cover. Sure. Probably most recent was Snooze. Eh, maybe even we had one more recently than that. But yet this, it's it's not with pen, it's not with pencil, it's not with paint. It's all, it's chalk, it looks like. It's also mirroring itself as well at a further left-handed offset than the line down the middle of the mountain, which further enrages my OCD and further just, it's just screwy. I like it. I <laughs> like it for its screwiness, for its impression, for the fact that it's really just not concrete and not really down-to-earth yet surrounding an very earth-oriented visual. My favorite element about it is, like I said, that invisible line at the bottom where yeah. there is a bunch of symmetry. I, I, I don't know why, and that's true for both it could sides. Be water like, you, see, no? look, when you're looking at, you know, the left side of the. Uh, the album art and the right side, there doesn't seem to be anything similar about it except for the artwork at the top. That crosses the threshold, but nothing else does. It looks like it's two different landscapes, um, even though they kind of, yeah, they rise to the same point in the mountain, but yet the, the landscape does not match as if they're showing, like, different angles of the mountain. So you don't see any terrain crossing that line, except at the bottom, you have the same symmetrical line, almost as if there was like a common thing to the bottom, like that's a pool or something, and you're seeing mm -hmm. the reflection in the water. But of course it doesn't look 
you're not seeing any distortion <laughs> then of the material that's there. Like you don't see any uh, diminishing of it like you would in a pool, but yet you have the exact same reflection like you would. That there's too many things that don't line up here. That's uh, it, very it, bizarre. It definitely gives this feeling of surrealism, even though it's not, because it's mostly just clipped images. But it definitely sets off that part of the brain going, this isn't quite right. Whoa, this is actually weird the longer you look at it. You know, it's one of those kind of things. And the, and the band members are just mountain people who are stalking you in the mountains or something. They look they look very, they're up to no good right there. Whoa, they're postures. let's not get crazy now. I, 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 I don't trust them. I you're, do not trust them. You're definitely projecting. They're all looking at me. Yeah, they're facing the the camera that took the picture of them, which so happens to be your point of view. That's polite of them. <laughs> All right. Well, I think this is a, uh, a safe point to shift into the actual album itself. And we start with track one, Call Me Star. Call Me Star. Well, just for a frame of reference here, uh, this introduction is, is very reminiscent of the more American folk and country-inspired side of last week's album. Despite that being, you know, largely Celtic, the atmosphere that I described in certain areas of it, let's say like track four on the Flogging Molly album, is basically this to a T. Yeah. It's the same feeling, the same potential, and the same sense of profound relaxation, even though the strumming pattern in the guitar was completely different. But it it still takes me back to those, you know, those things that I like. Uh, my favorite side of the Decemberist work, from for one thing, and all of that ilk. A very the, Western traveler feel. Yeah, Western traveler, but I also can't really, I can't like put a place on it. Mm -hmm. I just want to say, like it could be Appalachia, it could be anywhere you have where you have a lot of time and room mm. to think. And vastness. that that room is really present in the vocals, and that was call. Wait for it. Wait for it me like he's just he's he's just breathing in and out four or five times in between each word and each word is just a very soft vocal syllable that hits you like even some of the words that are multiple syllables have to be spread apart so it's not falling it's fall wait for it wait for it ing i actually really like this approach because it becomes less about what's being said and more just using it as a a musical accent on what the, what the guitar work is doing, what the beat work is doing, and everything like that. It takes forever for him to get it out. Call me star, alone I take few upon my tongue. Call me straight, light upon falling, oh the pale grows slow. That's like two minutes of material right there. Yeah, yeah, a minute and a half. <laughs> maybe, yeah, not maybe. quite, but still, it's... Uh, it, it's quite, he takes his time with it. And I, there was something I really liked about his vocals, too. Other little connotations, you know. Even if you just take the syllable itself, he, he, his vocals come across to me as almost like that Jeff Buckley potential. Or at least I hear the voice there. Doesn't quite go high until a little bit later. But it's, um, and even then there, then the Jeff Buckley really comes out. But just his voice so far sounds a lot like it. And actually has many, of the, the song itself feels like it has the relaxing qualities of quite a few tracks off of, um, um, off of Grace, uh, starting with Mojo Pin. So, yeah, lots of places that I really, really like. Another thing uh, that I wanted to mention, in fact, even before the vocals came in, was that other little uh, common country folk additive that... that well, apart from just the acoustic guitar, which, for one thing, mixing-wise, feels extremely rich. You get two tracks of it divided in each ear, um, and then the other thing is that electric whimpering guitar, that little in the background, right, that we also heard last week. It's like it's like you're out in the woods and that was just an animal out in the distance. I really, really like it. It just, it, it relaxes me immensely and his vocals amplified it. Which is weird because that relaxing feel 
is first introduced that that downward bend is first introduced to actually usher in the drum work which it was it wasn't that level of last week's piece where it was always energy all the time it well, wasn't the, trying the, to hype us up the big thing here no it is not it's not energy remember it's it's uh it's the fact that i feel it's more the relaxing side of that yeah. album which um you know sorry to say that album did not get to the point where we were indulging in it this there's a lot of time one might say eh, maybe almost too much time at at, at at points, but this is still very early on, and already I can see I actually wasn't thinking psychedelic. I was more thinking just kind of like in the ambient vein, though of course there there aren't drones, so to speak, but it's like every instrument takes its time. Yeah, it takes its time. It comes back to the same thing, and it's very, very, it's very, very comfortable there. The, the chord progressions don't really uh, step very far out of their pattern. Uh, D major is mostly what this is in, and then it goes back and forth between the 1 and the 5, D major to A minor, which is why actually there is a couple little things here, you know, moments where we actually do kind of just add a tinge of sadness here, so I don't want to uh, encapsulate this as like some major tune. There's really more of like a Mixolydian thing going on rather than true major because of that minor five chord and also what happens around a minute and seven seconds this breath mark this beautiful release of everything where we kind of just let the the trudging guitar stop for a moment everything stops except for a very distant guitar really really far in like the right ear almost sounds like it's a guitar playing one room over and that was a really interesting choice and also in that moment it sounded like we were moving to like a, a C major 7 or something like that so that would also be not quite in in the uh you know, in the major sequence of chords, this would be like a flat seven. And that's why it's really more of a Mixolydian thing in general. So despite the veneer and the, the, the veneer of peace and contentment, there's kind of a deadening sway that persists throughout this whole first section. And thus there's a twang of sadness that follows it at the same time, really locked in this breathing moment because there's always something sad about a guitar playing alone in another room distantly. What it also does is being between the first two verses, and this doesn't really follow any any sort of line it's verse verse chorus chorus and the only reason why i call it chorus chorus is because they're repeated and it's the same thing verbatim that's the only way i can divvy it up but between the first two verses having that moment of breath that distant guitar actually previewed what the chorus would be doing actually previewed the extra layer and the extra effort that would be thrown on top of the chorus because that's when the guitar shows back up and that's where the vocals actually take a step up and finish sentences. That's where the Jeff Buckley moment really came out. And that's where even, you know, Matt, who maybe wasn't on board with me and hearing Jeff Buckley in the individual syllables, can't blame him, definitely it, it, it impacts here. Because, of course, Jeff Buckley had that beautiful falsetto. And mm -hmm. here, he this guy is actually using that falsetto. So, uh, yeah, this was um, pretty nice. I will say, though, you know, there are some buts here. And to quote John, there are buts. The drums were fairly static, and to create a backbone for the track, it served the purpose, but by the end, I was a little bored with them. I think that the track as a whole suffered from that a bit. I do, I was taken out of those moments when the falsetto came in and the guitar did a little bit. Like, those things were, were uh, highlights, but the drums were definitely on the more boring side in this first track, which, again, when you're setting a tone, is not necessarily terrible, but I definitely wasn't enthralled by it. That's either. what I meant by trudge. I shouldn't yeah. have described that. I shouldn't have described it more as like as the guitar doing. Of course, the guitar has its pattern as well, but that's not the reason I feel the trudge as much. It's more because of the drums on the one, two, and one. 
Two, and that's like the whole song. Pretty much the whole from song start in, to finish, Unless yeah. those drums are gone, unless you have those breathing moments where finally the drums just cease. Yeah. But that was to really start showcasing the space they were building into this track. Because by the time we even get to the chorus, yeah, there's a step up. But it's a delayed gratification bit going on here because you're getting full measures. I'll stay away because after all, everyone deserves a crown of light. And it's not till crown of light that they actually feel like energy is being infused into the chorus. It's very dead and very flat up until that point where the falsetto really starts shining through. Because then a lot of pieces start coming together. You get a little bit brighter. The drums get a little bit more exciting. Everything kind of crescendos. It, it's a legit straight up crescendo on crown. And then it drops right back down. It also it's, felt like the vocals were doubled at some point. Like either it was him over himself or, again, two vocalists. I never quite know. But I, it, they rang so closely together that it made me think it was the same vocalist in two separate tracks because you get this phasing effect. Like the sound waves, are, are, are they're, they really want to be together, but of course they can't be because that would be perfection beyond humans' ability to achieve that kind of perfection. And yet, it, it, it sonically, it comes across really, really nicely. They resonate. And, and uh, I liked that choice. That was around like, you know, two minutes and 18 seconds. Um, and we do repeat that again. But yet, the, the intensity increases toward the end. And I must admit that. Even though you can't get past the, you know, the what and two and thing, the, the, just the volume level is quite high toward the end because they've added a few other elements. Um, I don't know if it's really a bass. It's like a boxy, gurgling rumble. It just makes mm-hmm. this, like, yeah. and I mean, that kind of just coats the last stretch of this track. My guess is it's a bass, but, yeah, it's not recognizable instantly as such. Yeah. The, I'm always whole, safe with that yeah. stuff. <laughs> on the whole, the, the track actually for me is flat is very flat and i think it actually is positive for that it it really shows a very mellow nature and a very non-committal feel that i actually found to be interesting and and enticing because of that because that's not something i would expect to be an opener to be something that's you know the kind of the opposite of inviting it's just not caring it's not trying to put you off it just doesn't really feel like it's caring too hard and because of that i'm finding it intriguing i i get that the drums are supposed to kind of support a numbing kind of dampening effect but in the like the the last third of it before the crescendo i was starting to lose interest a little bit the crescendo did reel me back in and all in all i think that it's a good track i just think that maybe some kind of Maybe not necessarily playfulness, but maybe just some kind of changing in pacing, like a stumble or something, might have made it a little more interesting. It was more the fear lingering in the back of my mind, like, is this album going to put me to sleep? Right. I don't know yet, you know? That was that kind of thing. Sure. Um, I think this is a good place to go on track two, because El Centro does not put me to sleep, at least in terms of the fact that volume-wise, this really follows through on what the last stretch of last track presented. Now, El Centro, as I previewed uh, when I first introduced this album last week at the end of the show, was the one that drew me in. Um, Because it's unusual, at least in my experience, to find on an album with vocals an eight-and-a-half-minute track with no vocals as a pure instrumental. And because when I did discover it, it was... It was weird the first few times listening to it. I didn't realize it was nearly 10 minutes or closer to 10 minutes than five minutes long. It was one of those tracks that didn't feel its length the first few times. For me, the the first thing that really catches me about this track is, well, for it starts with a drum rise. But a drum rise that you expect you get like maybe 
five repetitions of and then it breaks out into the jam or whatever else what's interesting about this is well beyond a minute it continues to do that drum rise even as other instruments come in it's which, like the drums are encroaching in there it's like yeah. getting closer it's getting closer it's and, coming <laughs> and and it, it was one of those things that after subsequent listens i loved to hate in that way that's something that drives you nuts still intrigues you it was that kind of frustration, almost, almost like blue balls of the drum kind. Which, because it just there was no release for so long. It was so frustrating, but I kept coming back for more. And part of that frustration comes from the fact that they keep hinting at yeah. something's going to happen. Throughout the entire eight and a half minutes, they keep hinting that, well, maybe we'll do something like this. Maybe we'll do something like that. But the drummer decides, no, 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 we're going we're gonna to go back. We're going to go back and start all over. And that actually was one of those reasons why it did not feel its length. It was like the psychedelic version of when's the beat going to drop. Yes. Almost, you know? actually, and that's, that's what was really interesting it's an interesting to me. imagery. But what's on. interesting is that there really is no moment. Yeah. Like, you don't get the signature no moment. There's so much, like, blending in this track that it may be a little bit difficult to talk about in usual terms. Because um, you do have a melody, but it's like, it's barely a melody. It really, I mean, it is the guitar, of course, and you have that as the lead instrument. But it's, again, it's got its own rounds. But beyond that, it's really more, it, it almost feels like color because it doesn't lay down a theme-esque melody, if that makes any sense. It's really more just like note by note to kind of coat everything that's beneath it. It's prominent for sure, but it's not like it's that melody that's going to stick in your head. It's probably more like the riff beneath it that is going to stick in your head, or maybe even the drums. The drums, I think, actually, it's interesting that we go from, you know, the last track where me and Matt are feeling kind of a little bit tired of the drums at this stage. Drums are easily, in this track, my favorite, favorite element. They feel expansive. They're, there's tons of dynamics here. It's not just one and two and three and four and. It's it's like a metal drum set for starters. It sounds like he's got half a dozen toms. Uh, and it, it's pretty impressive as to how that kind of maintains the interest throughout the track. And I don't mean, like, deeper into the track when you actually do have kind of a drum solo, because that's not even a definable moment. You don't really have a single moment in which, ah, the drums solo has begun. The spotlight shifts. Instead, you don't... It, it, the spotlight doesn't shift. It's more like they gradually get brighter on the drums until after some time has passed, you notice, like, oh, yeah, the, the, dr the drums really are owning the show now. But yet they were always the most interesting part, just to the differing degrees. Well, okay, I'm going to do this a little bit of a time signature. I'm, I'm, I'm stealing a page out of Steve's book. Uh, this evolution, and there is a bit of an evolution on the the upper register on the on the forefront instrumentation like about a minute 20 in we get this echo guitar that does show up multiple times throughout the track but it's long it's screeching it's warbly and for the longest time it's barely doing notes barely doing a single chord along a full measure or maybe two or maybe three and it builds up over the span of about a minute to actually start doing a pseudo melody or just a playoff of what the melody it's is doing. probably at that point that I described the melody that I did. Yeah, it's 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 scattered, it's hodgepodge, but it's us it's longer, it's warbly, it's screechy, it sounds kinda on the meaner side. And then at about two and a half minutes in, that switches and it goes grumbly, it goes lower register, but it's still doing a similar idea 
with the, the same sort of effect, yet the, the caliber of noise is a lot different. Well, I also think it might be a different instrument because when we shortly after that, we start to get the beginnings of the drum solo that goes on for a bit, and we get that rumble starts to sound more bassy. I really think that it's the same kind of bass sound we were hearing in the previous track, but yes. more honed in, closer to the mic, You'd, very crisp. And yeah. then somewhere between three minutes and three and a half minutes, the drum solo starts, and I say somewhere between that time because as Steve said, doesn't really just start so much as emerge. I said by four minutes in, the drums have the spotlight for sure. By that point. But they do like two different solo starts before a real solo starts at about four minutes. See, at first I thought it was more just like a drum fill. Like this is really more just kind of like tying two sections together and then we're going to get more guitar as the prominent instrument. But instead that point never comes. It's like the drum fill that just goes on forever. It's a giant drum fill that lasts for about, oh, I don't know, the next three minutes or something it's it's weird i'd say perhaps up until this point up until the drum solo maybe even including it i want to say this is a more true brand of psychedelia only mm-hmm. because it's like whoa man the music is turning my brain you know there is no theme per se it's all just it's pure atmosphere and you just kind of want to like go along with the motions of it but Yet I also don't want to completely oversell it just on my own uh, interpretation of this track because although it do- definitely has has energy going for it and has woken me up from from the last track, it is a jam in C major or rather again six C mixolydian because that's really more what they want to be here. And then also every once in a while they'll throw in a flat two just to kind of hammer home. Yeah, this is really warped, man, because that flat two sounds extremely out of place. Um, but beyond that, you know. Perhaps it, 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 it does beckon a little bit of that discussion, a revisitation of the discussion that we have had on previous occasions about jams, tracks that are in their entirety jams, because I really do not see much of a theme going on here. Yes, one can argue and probably would be correct that guitar melody is the theme, but it's not a memorable one. I think it's all more about atmosphere than about, you know, hum that tune later. That's not what they're going for in this instance. They just want you to be lost in the moment. And that's what this track requires of you. If you are not lost in that moment, then this track has failed to that extent. I was lost. You were lost. I was completely lost. I was not yet. But I'm going to admit something. Let me just admit something quick. It was more successful on speakers than it was on headphones. In other words, I'm listening by myself, and I'm a little bit overly judgmental, perhaps. I'm listening with you guys, clearly saw that you were lost. Maybe there was some projecting there. I mean, like, yeah, actually, this would maybe be really good concert material. I could see it. At five minutes in, a, a guitar solo officially starts, one that was previewed 15 seconds earlier with, with the guitar yelling coming back in, that mean upper register. Six and a half minutes in, it decays down to a rumble. We lose the kick. The kick is gone now, the major beat. And it's just light snare, a little bit of hi-hat, and a lot of echo distortion. Seven minutes in, the drum power chord. Yeah. Big power chord, big heavy finish. The one thing that actually did precede that, it was after, you know, everything mm-hmm. had melted away, What you do get the return of that little boxy bass yes. roar. That was the one thing there, kind of just alongside the drums before the, the big explosion there. This wasn't me just trying to follow along with a specific idea or anything like that. It keeps mutating as we go along. So by the time we get to that seven minute mark and I'm... 
and a major power chord is about to hit me, I don't even recognize the beginning of the song. So I don't think we were supposed to be humming along or singing along or anything like that, like following along and repeating these melodies or these rhythm sections or anything like that. This is a track that you just have to dive in and try to be just in the moment. And for that, I was. Yeah, I was just totally in this piece the whole time. You know what it is? It's just that the riff is the theme. Yes. That's really the only thing. Like, that's the thing that's going to anchor you back. It's, there's no melody to speak of. And and I'm kind of more in line with Steve on this track, whereas there's some impressive work within it. I wasn't really lost to it. And, like, the drum solo I enjoyed, but I, I too, was kind of like, is it a drum solo? Maybe it's not. Oh, maybe. No, maybe it is. I mean, it sounds like it. You know. Why, but okay, why do you have to define it as a drum solo? Oh, I don't. I was, but I was because I wasn't lost in it. I was more concerned about analyzing the structure than actually enjoying the music. Wow, and, that's, but I would that's say, a very me uh, side. And, I would say that's I'm, actually probably a good thing. No, I don't, because <laughs> on a track like this, you're designed to be sucked in. Well, I'd say and, it's a good thing for for Steve, not, right. not you. But but also part of it is that the guitar solo towards the end, I don't really think it adds anything. It's a nice moment, but it feels kind of masturbatory. It it's is not a- as overwhelmingly masturbatory as other solos have been, but I just don't feel like it added anything to the track at that point. When the track breaks down at the end and totally degrades in the outro before the big close, I thought that was a really cool effect. I think it could have stand to come maybe a minute earlier. But that said, I only feel that way because I wasn't as wrapped up in it as you were. I'm I'm somewhere in between all of those points. In other <laughs> like for instance you brought up the guitar solo. I didn't really mention much about the guitar solo yet, but I actually think that maybe was one of the best parts of the piece for me. Mm. I yeah, it was a little masturbatory, kind of agree with you there yeah. while at the same time thinking it was the best part of this piece. Sure. Like admit more in the fact that I like the same thing I said about the about the drum solo to begin with, about mm-hmm. how the drum solo, there is no clear defining start moment. Right. There is also no clear defining start of the guitar solo. Yeah, at first it sounds into existence. It, well, at first it sounds like the guitar is just comping over right. the drums and that the drums still have the spotlight, but yeah. that the guitar is secondary. Then it feels like it's totally equal. Like yeah. they are, they are, they, if not, they if mis- not dueling, it, it's jamming. It, it's a true, the, it, the two of them are jamming out before then it feels more like it's more about the guitar than the drums. And all of this feels very feels very human, feels very natural. It doesn't feel like any of this was necessarily written, although I don't want to, you know, remove the credit if there is indeed credit to be had there and this was mapped. Well, that's the what you just described of the guitar steps in with just uh, single comping notes, single comping chords, and eventually settles on the original riff, which the drums kind of degrade from their solo into that original riff and then remain there when the guitar takes off. Something like that, to me, like that compositional work, if it was planned, was better than like 95% of what happened last week. If it wasn't planned, that's a happy accident that, that's really hard to reproduce. I, I mean, it's kind of apples and oranges here because this is this is a completely different framework for which they're building within. Where expansion is expected, especially if it is improvisational. But I understand what you're saying. I'm going to conclude with a compliment then. I think that if this truly was a a completely organic improvisation, because there was something, I don't remember if you mentioned it in your your opening spiel, that this album was recorded very, very quick, right? Like in six six days days. or something like that. Now, now, as was pointed out by Matt off-air, you know, that does not mean that necessarily the writing took place in the same amount of time. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't, but usually if you're working with if you are working with a producer, it's assumed that, of course, you're going to have everything as ready as it absolutely can be, so that way you're not going to 
pay, pay any more money than you have to to this producer because obviously they charge an arm and a leg as you get it done as quick as possible and get out of there. The writing process has to be completed. But if this was done in like a cabin in Texas, then I don't know if there was a producer of an, out, an external producer apart from they're just producing their own work. So we I have another find indie situation. I couldn't find any particular references to how the six-day recording process actually occurred and if there was any writing involved with it. If there was any writing, we don't. We and simply don't know. So I'm going to just leave the if. Let me just leave that condition, that if this was a completely yeah. organic experience front to back, then I do think that this is one of the more successful um, jams that we've looked at. Uh, on the show. I would agree. With that statement, I would agree. Yeah. All right. So let's go to track three, Dirt Preachers. So we we shift here back to something a little more familiar and modern. The the start of this track lends itself to a more indie rock feel. Um, you know, not completely divorcing from the sound we had previously, but we have something a little harsher here um, as far as the instrumentation goes. It's power chord yeah. oriented again, um, which... It's dirty, it's mean, and it's 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 trying to fool around with the pivot, going higher register, quivering, drying, dropping back down, jumping back and forth with it, until it finally jumps into the track itself, into the full band showing up, the rest of the instrumentation showing up, right. with the vocals, the drum work, everything. The more fast-paced verse that, uh, I mean, obviously this is a more of a running pace, so yeah. definitely, yeah, they're waking me up a little bit. Uh, if I did have a little early critique here, it was the fact that the verse goes by kind of in the blink of an eye. We arrive at that chorus very, very early. Uh, the twist your fingers called you a star, uh, but I want to read the part right before that. Everything I see is sacred. 5.0 holds a spoil. Mother Mary rearranged me, helped to go through southern soil. And then the chorus, twist your fingers, called you a star, twist your fingers, holy one calling, twist your fingers, called you a star. Your pacing on that was a little bit off because I have to specifically point out, it's twist your fingers, called you a star, twist your fingers, holy one calling. It's five measures, <laughs> not four. Five measures of the chorus screws up the whole pacing of the chorus. So I'd similar to the first track, you're getting like... that was the case, but maybe. it's it, Yeah, it's got another delayed satisfaction chorus going on right there where it, it lasts a little bit longer than what you expect it to be. I have a little bit of a problem with this chorus. Uh, I have a lot of problems with this chorus. I'll let you go first, though. So, okay, so my biggest issue with this chorus is that and why John, I think Steve may have ended up saying it the way he did, is because <laughs> the vocals get completely lost in this in this instrumentation. It's loud and it's a little uh, and it's very distorted. There's a lot of distortion on the guitar, which I don't mind distortion on the guitar, but I feel like the words kind of get lost within the instrumentation. And it's also very aggressive, even more so than the verse instrumentation. So it kind of pushed me back a bit, and I was a little pulled out of it. I don't know. I, 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 I'm not trying to do the, oh, it's too. if it's too loud, you're too old, because I like <laughs> loud music. I think that there was just some harshness that was probably intended that really knocked me back. I was exact opposite. Like, I don't feel like it invited me in or anything like that, but that harshness didn't affect it at all, and I was able to get it on my first go. Like, I was able to understand it on my first go. I had no problem with it. Uh, yeah, I'm somewhere in between. I think, oh, oh, of course I'm in between. No, in this particular case, the reason why is because um, I don't think I had any enunciation issues. Uh, I agree with the fact that there was a lot of distortion there, but, uh, well, obviously that's just a statement of fact. I don't know if it really muddled the lyrics, but I do know that these lyrics are not grabbing me on in their own right, which that is why there was a subconscious with, yeah. thing going yeah, on where sure. I wasn't, I may have been hearing, but I wasn't listening. It's I like, think the paced lyrics in the 
first track had more impact because of those pa that pacing. Whereas here, rushing through the verse and chorus, uh, it just falls past me. Right. And I'm distracted by the distortion. The, so it, it's the I guess my problem is more it's the half of it is the distortion, but it's the way that combines with the chord progression here, which I think is kind of bland. The more mm. from like minor one, okay. major six, and then back up to that flat two again. Which um, although it may have kind of worked for the last track being more of a psychedelic thing, that was a little bit harsh here. Not like flat twos or taboo or anything like that. You know, I'm not trying to be a, a, a cynic here, but I do think that it was a little bit it. <sighs> It's not even sloppy. It's more just that it was not like it wasn't terribly memorable. Like there wasn't this uh, this this beautiful round. Even if beautiful wasn't what they were going for, it wasn't beautiful. It wasn't pleasant. It didn't it didn't have a stickability quality, which is why these lyrics are just not really even in my head at the moment. Not that that should be the tell all, but there was just something a little clunky about the chord progression. Maybe that's the better word. I'm not nearly that harsh, but I will admit, yeah, I wasn't particularly grabbed by the lyrical work itself. It was more, I was enjoying his vocal expression than anything else. But we're really only talking about the A section so far. Yeah. Yeah, then let's go to the the, the dirge, as I'd like to call it. Which because... is funny, I thought it was a bridge at first, but then it went on long enough that I was like, nope, B section. But, yeah, no. but but I really, the instrumentation of this dirge, and I'll let you finish your thought in a second, Steve, but I just want to say this, the instrumentation of the dirge really did feel like a bridge at first because of the way it slows down. You think in an intense song like this, oh, it's going to slow down, and then the drums are going to pick up, and then it'll link right back to the end of the song. <laughs> and it didn't do that. No, right? it occurs about halfway through the track as yeah. well and is the second half, the yeah. latter half. The whole early section was in four, and then we go into some very interesting time signatures. I do believe they yanked the tempo uh, down. I wasn't exactly sure what the tempo should was, but of course, uh, the second you shift to the first measure, at least, being in six, then, well, this is our classic, you know, that heaving sensation that it feels like we've been seeing a lot lately, you know, well, so when everything is in six, especially at that pace, that one, two, three, four, five, six, you you can get a little bit lost in it. It's easier to get lost mm -hmm. in it because it feels, e even if it's not necessarily that much slower, it feels slower because that measure allows for more of a pulse on the one and the four, right? The one, two, three, four, five, six, and those pulses are much farther apart than the pulses you get in a more compact one, two, three, four setup. But... And here's the great butt of this section. <laughs> the great it's butt not, is it's not just in six. They, because no. It's a lie. It's an illusion that you're going to be lulled in because it's not six. It's six. This is the best I could figure out yeah, here we're because go on this. it's it's a measure of, of six and let's say, assume six eight. I even want to say six four because of the pace though. Let's assume six four time signature. Then there'd be another little two beats, a little two beat remainder there. And I believe you have to count that separately because if you were yeah, obviously you could add them together and just count this in eight, but that would be incorrect because if you're just counting it in eight, then you wouldn't have a pulse on the one and the four, and that's what anchors it back into a, a triple meter kind of thing. So that just leaves room for a separate. 2-4 measure there. 6-4 and then a 2-4 measure. And then we repeat that round again. 6-4, 2-4. And then after that, you do another measure of 6. Are we going to go back to the 2? No, not quite, because here we add another measure of 6 just to keep you in that heaving motion uh, for a little while before finally you get a 3-4 measure remainder. And that's the one that actually brings you back to the beginning of the entire cycle. So overall, it's 6-2, 6-2, 6-6-3. And that's your cycle 
for the remainder of the piece, as far as I can tell. And a uh, flow like that actually reminded me of Queen of the Stone Age, because in a lot of their more psychedelic tracks, they've done that kind of a thing, where they heave you that way and kind of throw you off balance. Also, the way the guitar is being played here is very woeful, which also reminds me of Queen of the Stone mm-hmm. Age, especially the album that we reviewed, because there's that sense of woe and, and moaning almost in the, the guitar. The lost chip at sea or something, I don't know. And put those two pieces together and it sounds almost like dystopian to me. Yeah, I can see that. I think also like I really dug the B part, but I didn't I had I could have the B part isolated and be perfectly happy. I didn't see a need for the A part personally. But I don't well, see now them. let's go to the lyrics though, because the lyrics at the very, very end, uh, at least the only lyrics that exist over this tail end section are Come all of you to my arms, asking for nothing, asking for anything. Come all of you to my arms, asking for something, asking for anything. Come all you hungry children to my arms, searching for something, searching for anything. Come all you hungry children to my arms, asking for nothing, asking for anything. Um, we'll throw back to the beginning there because that keeps changing. Um, but the first time you heard was asking for nothing, ask for anything, and that's the last one you heard as well with some somethings in there. So there's desperation for sure, which fits everything that Matt just said. And yeah, I actually, I really do like the way the, the music brings this out. I'm not saying that I was like feeling that in the lyrics necessarily. Again, the lyrics are kind of off my radar in my yeah. experience with this band so far. I can't really say why that is. It's because just the melody isn't terribly memorable, but I'm more lost in the ebbs and flows of the instrumentation. That seems to be where the strengths are. And the vocals are still being used more as instrumentation to my ears than as uh, conveying information. It's not just your ears. It's, it, they're sad. They're matching that kind of woe is me feel, that woeful, dystopian kind of a feel. They're, they're definitely on the deeper end of what's been done in this track and in this album so far. So it's trying to mesh up to it. And that's a lot of the vocals on this album, not not just with this track, but with most of it. It feels like they're being used as instruments. And then, of course, the, the guitar solo at the end, which oh, is the yeah. last yeah. point to make about this piece, of course, which I, I have to say, without absolutely no caveats, I really enjoyed this guitar solo. Me too. I just thought it was yep. it was solid. It was it fit everything that was going on. It, mm-hmm. it felt born of the, the track as a whole. Obviously, we're more favorable of the B section than we are yeah. of the A section, but once we're there, then I think we were uh, immersed, sufficiently immersed, and the guitar solo solo felt longing, and I particularly love moments within it, uh, that little high squealing note that he mm-hmm. reaches in the course of that melody. So, really the most memorable melody here is just the guitar solos. So, uh, that's my takeaway. Let's go to track uh, four. This is where it falls apart. That's not good. <laughs> well, I guess then, if you're going to go with something negative title-wise, going moody blues doesn't hurt at all. And the guitar work here is solid as well. I mean, from the moment we hear the first chord, it's definitely a blues guitar. Well, There's mel- an electric, a decisively electric, yeah, but like the thing, a like, crisp, clear it, it one. It feels very yeah. B.B. King to it's me, like you know, bright, crisp. sleazy guitar, though. Yeah. Sleazy blues, I guess, is what I'm... I, I, I guess I don't mean bright I, in, in like, happy. I think I just mean very crisp and yes, close Yes, it to is mind. very crisp, but it feels like... I mean, this is like a late-night thing, if ever. I, I yeah. It actually would... In the same way I said, you know, about last week and how I would have a hard time 
taking myself seriously listening to uh, Celtic rock just on the daily and not when I'm out at night, you know, at a show or at a bar or something like that. Mm -hmm. I'm having a little bit of that problem here. But again, it's all just how you approach the music. So this is just my perspective. And it's more like this has to be really late at night. Like, you know, definitely past midnight, more closer to like 1 or 2 a.m. To even take a step further as far as the visualization that I get, uh, the visuals that I get from this entire track, I feel like I'm having a one-night stand back in the 70s. This feels like just a miserable evening where it's just out of necessity or you're you're doing something you shouldn't be i don't know this i'm not saying this is anywhere in the lyrics here because the lyrics are precious few and they're delivered in the manner you'd also really only get around circa that time maybe even earlier almost like a jim morrison kind of setup here but at the center uh something the beast was it spinning heart the heart of wonder a heart of stone of stone a heart of stone. And there's no corrections for delivery here because it is just spoken. There is a meter to it, sure, because he comes back in, in uh, I guess, equal intervals, one might say, but there's no pitch. He's avoiding pitch, and frankly, it's very difficult to understand him. This is, this is beat poetry delivery. And you have the harmonica as sort of a counterpoint to what he's delivering in that beat. Because the har- harmonica is still fitting the sleaze extremely well. For it's sure, still fitting course. the blues very well. But because of its higher register, just naturally, it's it's kind of that neon but a little bit smoky brightness shining through on top of everything else. The bass actually starts being a little exploratory. It's not doing just steady one 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 two 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 or anything like that. It's it's walking back and forth and going up and down. The drums are the steadiest part, but every two or three measures there's a little bit of flair because it's it's, it's very even. It's four measures. Every four measures, or rather the fourth measure, is kind of the that is the drum fill. This is kind of like what we you know we wanted before in drum fills, and it turned out to be a giant drum solo. Well, these are true drum fills that we get pretty much for the entire track. These transitions. Uh, where it's just a lot more dynamic than the usual trudge. So we go through a phase of that guitar work, the harmonica, vocal stepping in. And at the end of the vocal work, a lot of times you get that bass kind of flare up. Throughout all this, the drums are being used as a transition. We eventually go into a very crisp, very clear guitar exploration. And all over the course of about 16-ish measures... We then sort of repeat this cycle. Now, the first two, three, four times for me, up until the five-minute mark, because each time these cycles come back, next time we get the harmonica, it's not going to be the same thing with the harmonica. They're they're like ditty solos. They're mini solos on top of everything else. Or when the bass shows up, it's um, a very mini little solo exploration. The drums are the only thing that is truly repeating itself, and only because it's repeating a fairly long grouping of measures. It does this a lot, and five minutes through, I'm still thoroughly enjoying it, still really enjoying this piece, but that's really the marker I'm going to say it starts to wear on me. Mm, earlier for me. Much, much earlier, I have to say, this piece started wearing on me. Uh, this is actually the first instance where I have to say the six uh, feel is really not working for me here. I, there's something about it that is just a little too... I think heaving would be an overstatement in this case. The constant, you know... Two, Three, four, five, six. I, I, I get it. And and uh, I don't know. Every obviously the melodies that they invent over that. Um, most of them locked up in the well, just the color that comes from the harmonica. I, I, 
it's nice, but it, I guess there's nothing that's holding my attention particularly. Only the drum fills are kind of like, yeah, that's that's great stuff. Expand on that, but that's just that's where they're that's where they shine is in those moments. So to me, this was just kind of a lackadaisical track. For me, like so, the previous track, the second half, I enjoyed the first half I could leave. Here, the first two-thirds I like. I'm closer to John. In about but the, the five-minute, yeah. But, but maybe around four-minute for me. But then, for sure, the tail end of the track just feels, you know, it, it feels like the same problem I have with a lot of improvisational tracks, where it just goes on and on. It just plays around. It fills the room, but it doesn't really go anywhere. I think what really um, kept this track in my favor, at least initially, is that uh, uh, having a Steve moment and very much being taken to a place musically that before the lyrics even came in, I had a guy with a guitar, a cigarette, a broken heart, and a story to tell. Like, yeah. I got that all from that initial guitar work in the very beginning. And you don't feel like it ever really got expanded on. No. Like, there's nothing apart from it that kind of that. stereotypical visualization. The, the problem is it stayed that through the seven minutes, and if that were on a stage in an actual club... In the club, you'd get bored too. You'd True. be like, what, "What's next? Do something else." Yeah. You know, I get and it. You're, I think you're sad. Expand on the story. Yeah. I have a hard time hearing these lyrics. That's for sure. Well, I'm not 100 percent sure the lyrics were truly supposed to be heard so much as just like a setting feeling. Yeah, I'm sorry, but I'm calling BS on that. No, like, no, I, I always take issue with that. I, maybe if. Obviously, if you say yes, use the, the the vocals as an instrument, but he is no instrument here. He is he's like an invader to this song. To this I piece. would I'm 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 gonna uh, call bullshit on your bullshit, I guess, because uh. the mixing up until this point of the album has been really on point, with some really unusual sounds coming and going. Who's talking about mixing? The fact that the vocals are mixed at a level that makes it yeah. so difficult to understand, I think, was a conscious choice. Uh, that's that's where I would actually choice. lean towards it's a setting piece more than anything I am else. not... <laughs> one. Let's get something straight here. I, I recognize that it was a conscious choice, but I am questioning that decision. Okay. That, okay. that was the whole premise behind this. Okay. I'm not saying they made an error. You know, and, m- maybe someone could have slipped on the knob in their uh, in this cabin in Texas, but 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 I really do believe it was their it was their choice. They wanted to go toward more of like a Jim Morrison kind of thing, but there's none of the the prominence and the center stage of the Jim Morrison approach. It's all so in the distance, and I don't I don't get the reason for it. I think that's true across most of the track now. For all the the showcase instruments that show up throughout this piece, and I I guess that's how I'm going to really term them, I don't find any of the specific parts to be lesser or greater than each other. And I think that's part of the reason why by three minutes, four minutes, five minutes, or whatever you want to call it at, it starts to wear on you, is that every time we revisit the harmonica or every time we revisit that really, I really enjoy that crisp guitar, it's not doing anything better than previous work. It's just doing something that's on par, different, but on par with what was done earlier. So it's not like we're getting an expansion or anything like that. So I think the component sections, the grouping of measures, if you want to go by the drum sections, I feel like it, it's, a, it's a solid plateau throughout the piece. Now, I it, like the idea yeah. of each individual instrument. Yeah. In the same way that some you know stereotypical image can 
make your head run wild with what the stories might be, but at this moment I have absolutely nothing. So for for me, I I guess I stayed with the circling that we were doing here for longer, but I definitely concede we were doing a lot of circling on this piece. Yeah, I think that the the big problem here is that while I had an initial emotional connection very strongly, it stayed there. There's no development of it, and because I was hooked emotionally first, you need to grow on that. If you hook someone emotionally and then go nowhere, they're going to get bored and walk away because emotion is can, is so instantaneous and so um, fleeting that you can't just stagnate with it. And because very often music is based on the principle of, you know, tease and yeah. then what next? What next? And this showed its cards yeah. within the first minute. That's the... Exactly. So if we got complicated and, and interesting but kind of stagnant in the previous track now mellowing is like the it's like a polar opposite to what we just got we take, and it's we take ooh. a step up or or a step back depending upon your point of view we both, do, both we do get something very cliche in the very beginning though i'm a sucker for it it's it's you know a four count you know one, one two, two three, three four. four which our favorite decemberists do plenty of times throughout their career and so you know i i I, it's a cliche but not something that i want to hit on oh one minor thing on the previous track just really quick before we go into mellowing is that it's a blues track and there were hints of blues in the album up to that point but it still felt a little out of place for me not completely unheard of but definitely for sure like i kind of raised an eyebrow at first but then I got invested, and then I got not invested. And see, so. that, that also has to do with expectation, sure. because, you know, when we were discussing psychedelic properties, I suppose, to me, that wasn't as odd to get a track that was closer to the blues, just because I see all the things that were under that umbrella at any point in its entire history as a genre. Whereas Where I'm the, not familiar with it as much, so I may be more surprised by that. Okay, well, track five, Mellowing, at least would get argu- no argument from me. I don't think this is particularly blues. This is definitely more back in the folk vein, but it's a very particular kind of folk. First of all, the second the guitar really kicks off after that, you know, announcing of one, two, three, four, then the pattern here is more like one E and uh, E and uh, E and uh, right? There's just avoiding the actual beats, but playing on all 16th notes in between. It's kind of nice, and of course, here it's extremely crisp. This is as as crisp as an acoustic guitar has been uh, yet on this album, which is why this really works well, because there are a lot of points, you know, even though the mixing is pretty good on, for most of this album, I think there are points where things kind of do smear together a little bit, which which may lean toward why I feel a little bored in moments. There's nothing, even though this is down to just like one instrument at this point, there's nothing to be bored about when one instrument is is given such clarity, and that's what I, I do love about this uh, this guitar. And it's all guitar for this entire track, and that was also a nice choice considering the album. And what's really standoutish, I think, about this acoustic guitar work is that it's finger-picking here, which we haven't really had a ton of up until this point. It was more chords, whereas here we get the finger-picking that, that plays around more within the space that it's given. And while Steve said folk in the beginning, I started to... And, and truly, the... the song in the band I'm going to link it to just now that song was fairly folky westerny Appalachian-y anyway but to me I'm reminded of like Bon Jovi's more acoustic stuff in the early days like uh, Warrant and uh, Wanted Dead, and, Dead or Alive that kind of a thing and you know where it has that kind of western roaming feel which is definitely present here. There is but, a lot of connectivity but that's only for certain sections of it because you could you could really just divide this into 15-ish sections of guitar work because it keeps changing up what it's doing as a riff. Like, 
it's it's emphasis just keeps fluctuating. It's it's mm-hmm. uh, it doesn't really change key, but the chords keep getting muddled up and changed up so that you have happiness here, and then it gets a little more dour, and then it steps it back up. Like the way it ascends, the way it descends, and then it'll stay there for maybe two measures, or maybe four, or maybe just a measure, and then it'll come back to it later on. Like the the riffs themselves aren't anything particularly in their in their ideas unique but the the way that they're being grouped together and played off of one another the way it's evolving is it's a difficult thing to do is to keep my attention with just one instrument for such a long time with no vocals no real beat other than the pulse you're feeling with the guitar itself and the chords and the, the chords the, are also they're really what's pushing this along it, you know I, I i feel guilty for not sort of breaking down this piece because it didn't immediately warrant that it should need that and yet it really did because i think that was the only way to really understand the way these sections are broken apart um like for instance what i could call almost a part b or perhaps even part c uh by this point is where i noticed and this is the best way i can describe it though this won't be very specific it starts to get a little bit more legato, which is, you know, a little more um, connected as if it were, as if the guitar were actually singing. So you hear, like, the highest pitch in the guitar, which is basically your lead melody. You feel that flow a little more from from one note to the next, uh, as if that was your vocalist. So the guitar is really doing as much in its six strings there as a piano is expected to do, covering all bases, covering all lines, which is why it makes for such a compelling solo instrument. But, of course, not every style of guitar approaches it this way. This incorporates a lot more, I would say, from classical guitar tradition, and we do not get that a lot. Yet for those sections that really do flow together, the guitar itself still feels very staccato, still feels very specific and paced and following a path that you may not see right away, but this journey it takes me on, it holds my intention the entire length of the track. That is what was so amazing for me. As as good as the picking itself was, the fact that I kept experiencing new things and kept wanting it to go different places without desiring a specific place is what really en- enamored this track for me. Well, you know what it is? Guitars, of course, they're inherently staccato just because of the way you pick, you yeah. know. Obviously, it's going to be staccato. It's really hard. It's hard to avoid that, frankly. But there are, are ways of playing that bring out more of a legato melody in moments, uh, obviously you know just you know pull-offs from fret to fret and I, I felt that definitely more around what I would call either the part B or part C I guess you could even say either part C or part D again because there's some ambiguity here as to whether this true a section truly begins uh, for this I would have need to uh, transcribe the the chord rounds nevertheless the last section that I noticed in the piece um, really brings out the deep end like it, it, it feels almost like the guitar was tuned down because uh, well I know it only goes as low as an E but it felt even lower than that I could be wrong but um yeah there was just something about the range here that was equally as compelling as the dynamics because also i noticed it's not uh completely like lockstep i felt like there were moments where he pulled a little bit of a rallentando which is like you slowed down for a moment almost like it's just a couple of beats and then immediately right back on tempo uh just that little bit of looseness which again you mostly only get in uh solo performance because the only person you're held accountable to is yourself <laughs> Track six, open passageways. So we lean back into a classic rock feel here with this track. Um, I think from the very start, you know, it's not really throwing any surprises at us like maybe the previous two tracks did in what intrigued, intrigued us. Here I feel like it's more standard fare for what I'm expecting as far as psychedelia goes. 
Yeah, this, um, it, it, I would actually say this is our journeying track a little bit here. Sure. Maybe even it's just the, the connotation of the title, open passageways you're, mm. you're traveling through. I'm going to read this before I get into the melody and, and all the other stuff. All-seeing eye of God, pack up your tents to travel. Through low land and countryside, lay down your hammer's brother. Through open passageways, I felt my breath grow shallow. Lend me a voice, O oh God, to scream and shout and bellow. Chew up your love and then swallow. Three stars are pinned above, howling their hope in shadow. Cast down with weary eyes and bid their sheep to follow. Chew up your love, then swallow. Does anyone know what he means by that? No I, clue. Um, Though I'm, I'm going to hang on. Let me try. All right. Well, no think about jokes. It for, <laughs> think about it for a sec. I want to just point out that in all the songs that we can understand the lyrics, he references stars, which is interesting. Yes. I don't know what it means again, but it's interesting. I wow, I would see very safe. <laughs> speci- okay, I'm going to only hone in on one line mostly because it's my favorite line. Chew up your love then swallow. No jokes. I I it's more of you're going to say the phrase I love you instead bite down on it, get rid of it, just, yeah, just swallow, put it back inside. Swallow your tongue, swallow your pride. Don't bother with it. But it's the enunciation he throws on that line. Chew up your love then Swallow. <laughs> it's another use of space in his lyrical delivery that I really enjoyed, and this is one of my favorite ways he uses that space work. The more you say it in a disembodied sense, the funnier it gets. But nevertheless, in the music, I really, really liked this. I actually think this was the only true, like, stickable chorus in the entire album. And that's not like, you know, a knock on the album as a whole, because that's not what the album was going for, obviously. But I think it it definitely helped just to have one really, really strong track in that regard, where I can hear the melody in my head right now. It got stuck in my head. This was the one that clicked. I don't know, it was pleasing to the ear. And of course, I think one of the main reasons for that is is the fact that it's joined by the violin. You don't really have a a lot of violin, I think, in the rest of this. Probably the only spot. But it it was gorgeous. And and it's ties in so well with the with the chorus. It, I find it so ironic again that you know last week I I was almost criticizing the fact that uh, the violinist wasn't used in more of an independent sense. Like obviously you get her for like certain sections here and there and I wanted these I wanted these like amazing expansive uh, uh, violin solos and also ex- extended lengths of comping. I wanted just a little bit more out of it, and that here, this is tasteful for, for precisely the reason that it is just this single moment of comping over the hook, over the the refrain, the 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 highlight of the track, and then the violin. You know, it's it's still there throughout the majority of this track, but it, it's 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 used in a specific sense, and I don't really find myself wanting more of it. I think it was just enough. The right choice. Right. I think that the big difference here is that we don't really get much of it on this record, so it's very easy to see here that it's used well. Yeah. Whereas if we got it throughout this whole album, we might feel differently. The second you're accustomed to something, you if you give a mouse a cookie, and maybe that's <laughs> yeah, it. I don't right. know. But but I do want to talk about too how particularly the the guitar and the violin when they when they comp each other at that moment, it almost sounds downright medieval, just in the way that it blends together and gives that kind of old-timey feel. And it's not just in that instance, because after the first time, after the first chorus post-second verse, Mm -hmm. uh, when the guitar does get a little bit more solo and standoffish it it still has a little bit of that flair and yeah. seems to like revisit it and immediately retreat from it i like that 
that orientation that it just keeps hinting at it, with or without the violin. Definitely when the violin's right. there, but without it, just be just a little, just like a, a, a frame of chords, a little section of chords will sound medieval, and then it immediately goes back to something rock. And that's what I really like, is that it doesn't change the entire structure and feel of the song. It just changes those moments, and I think it makes the song the better for it. And there are other references here. I remember early in the track, something in the chord progression here, just like one to the next, it sounded so Stairway of Heaven. And actually, there are a couple places where I, I was taken directly back to Led Zeppelin as a whole, and it, I, I think it was only here that I noticed there is really kind of a Led Zeppelin-ish or one side of Led Zeppelin-ish feel to this album that, you know, it's not just psychedelic. It's that that particular era and maybe that almost implacable uh, side of classic rock that this band is really what, you know, and that includes the blues, frankly, that uh, even you felt was a little bit out of place. That is the umbrella where this does really fit. That's the niche. Well, and also, you gotta think you're comparing it to Led Zeppelin. You know, Jimmy Page was very well known for both using guitar and violin and other strings. Pretty much any string he he could get his hands on he would and use. and also he had some you know medieval affectations at times right and, and so the, the, these definitely line up as far as blending tools i think as a whole the song it's funny the song as a whole i think is more memorable but i think specific moments that i can hone in on besides those strings those medieval moments are less memorable. Which is weird because one of my favorite parts was when the strings were used without the guitar. Right. And that was the beginning of verse three mm-hmm. when it's really just like the kick drum and yeah. strings just just holding it down. And I, I, it's a little E, but it gets kind of on the epic side where it feels like it's trying to do majesty and trying to do There's big, a sense of that. Yeah, I can see that. I think it actually helps to have waited this long before I get that hooky chorus. Yeah. Like... You know, we didn't really again, get a ton of that. If you don't here. get that, and you're just getting atmosphere and mood and atmosphere and mood, you're feeling like, well, where is this going? Then finally, you get one, just one. Had every track actually included this, I wouldn't have maybe felt this to this extent. Right. Yeah. But you know, and you bring in the violins. I think this ended up being one of my favorite tracks in the album, and at least it's a really good pair uh, with. It's mellowing. up there with it's it's up there with mellowing, and I think that, again, within the confines of what they do, they're doing it well. But it's not on the broader scope of this track and a lot of the album so far, it's not stuff I haven't heard before. And so that's where I'm starting to run into some issues as we continue throughout the record. I have the minorest of critiques, almost uh, not even worth saying. The very, very last bit, the little picking guitar outro, I was detached. I didn't like it. <laughs> I, I didn't, I didn't, I, it was yeah, random. Little, <laughs> I didn't get it. That was a very yes thing to do. The band, the band yes, that was, that's the kind I of thing I feel like that's a compliment do. in the end, though. Uh, there are other areas where that's a compliment. There are this is one where it's not a compliment. Okay, <laughs> Track right. seven, instrumental two, welcome to the caveman future. Here's another thing like last week where we have a two, but where's part one? Was there a part one in a previous album? Well, the, yeah, we pick, don't know that. Pick one of, uh, <laughs> pick one of the instrumentals that <laughs> right. came before on this album. <laughs> and that was and part one. Yeah, okay, there you go. So it's all implied, okay. Instrumental 2 has some of my favorite picking on the album. Aside from mellowing, it, it starts off... Almost melodramatic I in its beak work. Did but not know, or rather, I would have had to have sat with this track longer to figure out that damn time signature in oh, the beginning okay. here. For the first like going 27 on. seconds, right? Uh, like that first minute or so? Even that, yeah, the whole setup here, I just was not exactly sure what was going on. I'd like to know. Maybe you'll see a little Crash Chords correction because I'm not going to let this go. Just didn't <laughs> have time this week, that's all. But it was very. It, uh, I, I, it was. 
kind of dreamy, I, I thought. Because obviously I think this is used more as a uh, an introduction to Talisman. Mm-hmm. Like, it, I would the, agree The track is not very long. It's, what, two minutes and change. Yes. And it just felt like a, a setup kind of track. It's all just building to something. Misty. There's a lot of guitar flares here, and then even some, like, sharp strikes that add with a warble after effect. It just, it felt very, uh, there was an ambiance, you know? This yeah, is dreamy, like this. Uh, misty ambiance. Yeah, yeah. Really I, like, this is better. something you would smoke up to and go, man, this is so cool. You know, but I, I think, actually, Steve, putting it in perspective as being an intro to Talisman, I think gives it a little bit more strength. Because as a track on its own, I felt like it didn't... I don't know that it didn't hold its own. I just felt like I wasn't... It was okay. At the end of the day, it was just okay. It was primarily the first minute for me where it was... Like, the the fact that the time signature was so hard to determine made me feel that it was trying to scream out melodramatic without (laughs) really screaming it. Just, like, lowercase screaming. And... The the core, the center, wasn't particularly new for the album, but towards the tail end, you get something of a C-section where it, it focuses on the picking, it focuses on a very pared-down drum set to almost just the kick drum, and you get a, a revisitation of that string reverb kind of a section to it. I, I, those two ideas, I think could stand up on their own. I see how they lead into the next track, how they do give you Talisman out of it, uh, considering what Talisman is about to do. But I, as much as they are almost introductory, they still stand up on their own for me. They still stand up as unique bits for me. There are moments where they like to just explode, like where it's a definable section here and there, and then there are other moments where they want to blend everything, like from one moment to the next, which is why I think I'm so fascinated by the early portion of this track and that the time signature is, yeah, kind of was, I didn't catch it immediately because the syncopation was really interesting and it makes it, it makes it more involving, I think, when you're not exactly sure what's coming next. Whereas for me, the outro, how it mellows out and leads into Talisman, I think gives the track some strength there and supports Steve's this is an intro to that next track argument or statement, as it were, since we're not arguing with him. Um, but again, I, I think, yeah, it's pieces that have strength, but the track as a whole does fall a little short for me. All right. Track eight, Talisman. Um, we get a very bare bones acoustic guitar intro here at the start. We get a very bare bones everything because at yeah. moments the good. Gu- Tar actually kind of just dissipates and leaves. Yeah, it just vanishes. We get a. F- it's it's very sh- similar to mellowing in its setup guitar wise, and that we're we're supposed to be following along with that. But then I would argue we, that the guitar is not as crisp though. Here. Exactly because it kind of gets overshadowed by the not even crisp vocal work. <laughs> yeah. But as as much as. As much as, like, negatives are usually associated with muddied, like, the muddiness of it is actually really good because you have to question where the pulse is, especially because while it seems to be 4-4, the vocals just ignore that section. And he, he, he comes in, talisman, I've been sleeping on the ground far too long under my stone. So he's, for the most part, coming in on the one of that pulse, but... But also the three in moments, also like the two and in moments, a lot of times on the four, he changes it all the time. I, I love really, this section. I can't commit I love this to beginning. it, and he can't commit to it, and that's all intentional. In this sense, it really is more like the sparseness of it is um, similar to track one, and how we only got like a syllable here and there, and he's waiting for this this long reveal of the full entire phrase, uh, and it takes a while for it to, to come to fruition, but it, it's very interesting 
interesting in the way it was written because yeah, of course we're all just locked in four here, but the melody kind of just comes in wherever he wants. And it was it's it was interesting to see a melody written that way to have short little bursts that come in seemingly irregularly over the course of those four four cycles. I think the the one complaint I have here is that. Uh, while this A section, I think, is interesting, and interesting for all the reasons you guys stated, I think I'm too focused on how interesting it is. Like, I'm going, hmm, this is really interesting. I'm not going, this is really cool, and I love it. You know, I, I was going, this is yeah, really cool, yeah. and I love it. Because right. but, when certain sections, when his vocals do step in, and you actually get a little bit more Christmas, that's when the guitar drops out, and it's like... Oh, what what is he doing? Like, is there a balancing effect going on between the two different ideas? Can he only speak when the guitar is quieter, or not even not even quite quieter than what quiet it already is? Uh, it, it feels like there's a dynamic going on between the two pieces that they're not really fighting for prominence, but neither of them can be given a whole allotment of a very small pie here. Yeah, and I think that while I'm, it's not by any means, I think, a detriment to the song, it might just be my connectivity to it, but I definitely did, from an analytical and academic standpoint, think it was really interesting. I just wish that I got into it because I thought it was interesting like you two did. And again, I don't know that that's the detriment of the song. I think it's just my experience with it at this point. I think you just reminded me that I'm a cynic. <laughs> no, no, really. <laughs> pretty, pretty much, I, yeah. I, I can get... Yeah, that's like two different sides of me here. I mean, obviously, some people approach a pop track with a kind of unhinged addiction that has no rhyme or reason. Sure. When you, with the second you analyze it, you know, and break it down, ooh, that's gonna hurt it because you're not gonna find, you know, the you're not gonna find the points of interest. You're not gonna find the details. And here, I'm kind of on the opposite side of things, where I am finding. I'm finding details. I'm finding all of that stuff. I'm not having that gut reaction. Yeah. And I think it just reminded me of that because a lot of times I am approaching this music with like, that's really curious what he just did there. And I, I, I don't think I'm experiencing what John is experiencing, uh, sadly, in this track. But there are other moments, you know, where yeah. it gets interesting and continues that interest. I have a lot of compliments, especially uh, once we kind of get through the moodier section, the vocals come in together with the drummer just going wild here later on, uh, which is like wild with a lowercase w. <laughs> yeah. Because again, the the drummer, it it's like what I described earlier in the album, lots of toms, very, very dynamic. And also I noticed no hi-hat, no crash cymbal, maybe like once every like uh, four measures There's, or it's, so. It's a muffled it's crash cymbal for sure. Yeah, that, just like that is no emphasis on that whatsoever. And that is... Uh, polar opposite from, again, some recent albums where you have this smearing that results from that metallic, you know, mm -hmm. brassy uh, effect that just smears over everything, especially when you're constantly crashing on that every end, then it, it, it's intolerable. But here, there's a, a lot of avoidance of that, so you only get that low-end register coming through here with, again, lots of syncopation, and I, it was one of my favorite elements. This drummer um, is, is not just a phenomenal drummer, he's a very tasteful drummer. But I think it's interesting, though, that this kind of shifts the whole song once this comes in around two minutes we're, we're dealing with i felt dealing with something very different from what we just had but and here's where the big butt shows up for this to counterpoint that it's the same lyrics he's actually saying sure. the same yeah, thing of course and while he feels like it, it felt like the vocals have gone moodier and even more background like they're trying to mimic the drums now as opposed to the guitar where it, it can hit a, a sharper twang uh, it's it's the same repetition of every stone I could turn, every stream I held in my arms. Shed some light, move your magic, 
take some time and show me how. Like, it's it's no different it, poetically or even a lot of the same words are being used, the same phrases are being used. So I have that connectivity. I have the vocal con- connectivity. And the guitar is still kind of present, kind of doing what it's already been doing. So that by the time we get to the outro C section, I don't know what you want to call At it. around three minutes and 43 seconds. The guitar starts filling out a melody that when the bass steps in and kind of emulates Flea yeah. from Red Hot Chili Peppers, it coalesces into just a really awesome jamming build for me. Like, we get an, uh, an electric guitar solo, really whiny, that's shown up a lot in this album, that is really harsh but the harshness is mitigated in a lot of ways by the bass by the other guitar work and you can still hear the picking in spite of the wine so the two pieces are separate elements that are meshing together i this is my favorite solo of the album sort of kind of a solo kind of just a really long instrumental yeah i think that once this part c outro whatever you want to call it comes in i really kind of lock in feeling that these parts are very separate i hear what you're saying about the vocals tying it together and i can't really deny that but i also wasn't really paying much attention to the vocals i was trying to hone in on the instrumentation and while it's not completely divorced i don't feel like that they can't possibly match up i just felt like it was a stop and then a start and then a stop and then a start i don't really hear transitions here i just hear different movements almost within it's like a three-part song so it's not divorced it's just i feel like we get three separate movements not one cohesive song and on other pieces of this album other tracks there probably was a lot more blending going on here and that i think was uh, the the real flaw that i see with this track and that yeah sectionally it is that it is sectional as opposed to a flow that we've gotten in previous pieces and i think that that's probably my only critique of this piece though because from point A to point B to point C, I, I like each section for what it is, and together I just love all three. This is very interesting that we're coming at this track from three very different angles. Um, I See, I don't know if this was my favorite solo, but it was my favorite sound of guitar during a solo. The kind of like whiny, wonky sound where it feels like something is like the gain is very high. I don't know, but it was extremely sharp and it just like filled my eardrums. And it, I, I guess just the intensity of it kind of did bring me over to the side of this track really, really strongly. I'm not saying that's the only thing because I was a little silent during like the tail end here, but I mean, well, the last half rather, just because like there are some moments where I feel like I'm being dragged back in time. There are moments where this is extremely Zeppelin, like like I said in the last couple tracks, and maybe it's more here than anywhere else, like where chord progressions are reminding me so strongly of, of When the Levee Breaks, for instance, um, and like the guitar slurring technique is very much like the transitions that you find deeper into that track. There are all these little threads that I feel like are similar to other bands where I sometimes struggle to find the uniqueness in this band at this stage but they've also been pretty broad as it is that like they never stay there long enough for me to be like all right this is just direct homage they're all just some moments threads that's it and i i do think actually it was a i think the transitions actually worked very well in this track from those um you know the the part in which the the electric guitar was more prominent early on where that felt like more of a section rather than a solo as we then go into the jam that felt 
I, I had to turn it down a, a notch in the dial, mildly warranted, because I wasn't taken to a big high before getting that jam. But then by the time I got to the guitar solo at the end, which is the true high, you know, then then I was sold. It's just I'm I'm I'm, I'm back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. But I do think if you just let yourself be with the song, as loose as that is, then I do think you can lose yourself in it. You can forget yourself, you can forget your worries. Um, but I, I do think you have to go into it with a, a, a little bit of um, a blank slate and leave all of your references at the door, otherwise you will be dating this track. Let's go to track nine, the final track. Blood and Sand, Milk and Endless Waters. This, <laughs> this is, I think uh, Steve is still a little bit frustrated at parts of this track. Um, because it is a, like a three-section piece again, but the first section... And just the like Instrumental 2, I don't know the time signature. Yeah. I, I yeah. can see... They're not all, it's not often that I like, can see defeat. I mapped out Snooze already. <laughs> but the, I don't know, granted, I listened to this that, that album a, a few more times than I had listened to this, so it's getting a little bit of, uh, a little bit of the short end of the stick in that department. But I... I it, it's interesting. I think there's some things here that are a little bit loose, but the best I can discern from the very beginning here is that what we have are like rounds of I think three eight, but you get like a, a maybe three of those measures. I don't know if there's a pickup in the very first beat. That's what I do not know uh, because you have to feel the pulse. And generally, when I feel three eight, I feel it as more of a one two three one two three one two three one two three. I want to hear the the accent mark on one, but there's no rhyme or reason or I mean there's no reason that has to be the case because the second they shift that up within a few measures then well <laughs> was that because they're still counting in three and they're just changing the accent or did they really add in a little secret measure of like four eight or something like that and then they went back to three and the accent is right where it should be but then after that when it starts moving into like uh, it's not quite a, a, a it's a different riff it's not just these rounds of, of, of three eight where you feel this accent mark it feels like something pushing more toward theme. That's where I was not exactly sure whether it was lining up in any of those measures. There was a whole different thing there. I don't know. I just have to sit with it a little bit more and I will figure it out. I'm going to make it my mission for this week because I was quite fascinated by this opening section. And I was enjoying the the very edgy nature of it paired with that that whining guitar. Like no, you were having... enjoying me tearing my hair out. Well, no, that was, <laughs> that was bonus. That was definitely bonus. It... <laughs> It then goes into a the crisp guitar. The crisp guitar shows up again, and I'm pretty much loved every time it has shown up. But yeah. this goes from a, a, a three to a four. We settle on a four count here, but yet the guitar is stubborn. The guitar is persistently accenting on the uh, the three grouping, but this is what yeah, kind of you can call a hemiola, but not in the sense of triplets, more just in the sense of there being these groups of three even 16th notes, no tuplet necessary, just even 16th notes, but cycles of three 16th notes sort of locking together and intersecting. Those accents are intersecting at various moments over this overall four count. So you have kind of the sense of, uh, if you can follow me here, I'm going to snap on the accent marks uh, that he chooses, which will be every three sixteenth notes within this cycle. And the accents fall, one E and a two E and a three E and a four E and a one E and a two E and a three E and a four E and a one. Something I may have missed one snap there, but nevertheless that's generally uh the cycle. The accent falls on uh the end of the one, then the E, second sixteenth note of the two, then on the three right in the dot, and then the uh right before the fourth beat, and then the and of the fourth beat, and then the one. So that's your cycle. 
That, that's really, really cool. It's just groups of three, except for the little realigning right there at the end. But overall, everything else, every other instrument, it's very locked into this, the feel, the sense, the feel for. Yeah, and I think that the drum work here is particularly interesting because here we are getting more of the crashes that we hadn't really heard on the rest of the album. In fact, that's what gives way to a lot of the guitar fingerpicking work that comes within the track is you have these huge crashes that result in the guitar kind of taking off. And, I, and it's an interesting blend. I think uh, all in all, this track kind of remained in the middle for me. I don't, I don't, I don't remember it as fondly, I think, as the other tracks. But there were definitely some interesting things, like that you both mentioned so far. So with that guitar work pairing with the drum work, it was extremely frustrating in the best possible way to have those accents yeah. flipping with the drum work. You have that Johnny. I want to call it Johnny Cash, not yeah, it's not the I Doors. It's that. Johnny Cash. I feel like he's channeling like. Just that those little spoken parts again, and they're even harder to understand this time around. Eh, his voice isn't positive that deep. and negative, back and forth on that. I'm not totally committed to it in this case. I could not pick the words out in this track at all. I was able to do it a little bit in the last track in which he approached it with this style, but here I'm just lost. I don't know what he's going for. It 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 became. One section of the electric guitar that I loved on this album, one section of the crisp guitar I loved on this album, then the 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 screwing with the drum work that I love on this album. The last quarter finally introduces strings again, but that last minute shows up heavily blues again. Like they, they, They're going through the cycle of what's on this album, so it became an epilogue for the album, but I'm still not on board with it as a finale. That's, that's where I'm kind of in a... In a, in a back-and-forth zone here. But epilogue, doesn't that dictate that there was a narrative to be post on? Like, I don't uh, get Epilogue any... in the sense that it's summating a lot of the ideas of the okay. album, so not, more of not an... explaining a story. So would that be more like an, uh, not an overture, but isn't there like a, an ending wrap-up that's like I an overture? I think we've had this conversation before. I'm uh, sure we have. We're just How about a finale? A finale. I don't know. But, but I just, I feel like, yes, okay, summating what the stylistically what we've gotten sure but narratively it doesn't do anything because I can't exactly. even find a through line of a narrative at all now this, this is an album. independent track yeah. I think yeah. Um, yeah. and we're not going to get anything from the lyrics because we simply can't hear them yeah. uh, I do I, like how at the end like the drums they don't fade out Literally, it feels like the drums are isolated in a factory, and someone with the microphone is wor- uh, not a factory, but more like a warehouse. And someone with the microphone is walking further and further away as they crash until it just bangs out one final hit, which is interesting as opposed to just fading out. They literally are walking away from the sound or distancing itself, mm. which is the blues guitar like stepping forward and like once again, it feels like they're doing a balancing act yeah. of of putting one before the other, and as volume goes up on one side, volume is going down on the other side. I like these effects I, I it, it shows uh, a cognitive reasoning behind why some of this album kind of feels spaced out for me why some of this album as as well balanced everything is it, it feels like things are shifting without really shifting it's for me a lot of very intelligent choices that I'm at the same time uh, I want to delve into it I'm also making an emotional connection on a lot of this album hmm well, I guess it's wrap-up time. This is... Oh, every album's tricky. Or why would we even bother doing this? I know. It's, it's, we're it not really easy, at a point the where fun? there's some kind of complication that we either bring on ourselves or that is inherent in the work. But either way, that's usually how this goes. Well, not to date this 
band, or at least their sound too much. But if there was just like a one other band uh, that I would compare alongside them, or that I would just listen to them in the same lineup of, probably would be Led Zeppelin. But I know that this is not like 100% drawn from that. I just think that that's kind of where it is for me. I haven't really listened to Led Zeppelin since high school. That's a long time ago-ish for me. So that's really weird. I, I, I don't know why I never really went back there. Why am I not listening to more of this? I never, like, discounted them as a group or was just like, Psh, I'm over that. It's just, I don't know, I went into different areas. So this is a little bit of a, a, a nostalgia trip for me in terms of my musical influences because I was so into Led Zeppelin. And there are parts of this I really like in, in the same vein. Obviously, you don't have the same oomph, I think, in the singer, not to like, compa- like to compare side by side, but I do think that I, even just kind of in a general area, the vocals are something that is a little bit lacking on this album. There are moments where I, I, I feel like I'm going to get something completely different. I was uh, borderline almost obsessed with the first track um, in terms of that sparse singing style, but he doesn't really further that. Instead, eh, he sings closer together, he sings melodies, but they aren't as memorable as later. But, like, to judge this album based on its melodies and its themes, I think, would be a little bit incorrect because I do think they're predominantly going more toward atmosphere than anything. Uh, But they do so within that classic rock, almost blues at times, um, but definitely just psychedelic to make it easier kind of framework. And I do think that those... Those areas are just a little bit more successful with me when it isn't 100% atmosphere. Not that this is 100% either, but, like, (laughs) maybe more than exists here. Because then I find myself, you know, uh, sitting at home and I'm like, "Eh, I'm trying to remember something from that album. So far, I'm remembering one track. I'm remembering one chorus. Well, far be it from me to rate an album based on how many hooks and choruses it has. That's so so shallow. And I I hate it all the time. There should be so much more to, to songwriting. Um, but I think this is at the opposite end of the spectrum. It's at the other extreme. There is so much, uh, space here and so much, I guess, ambling about that I do have a hard time, um, finding those, just those key moments, like performance entryway points. I do have them, though. I have them in, I have them in, in moments. I, I explained where they are, and I think I like the tracks on this album that are actually most different from the whole. I love mellowing just as an idea, you know, this, this all-guitar piece that kind of follows the sense of album structure in terms of one moment flowing to the next and there not being these big sectional barriers. That track kind of encapsulates that whole entire concept just in the guitar itself um, because it's really just the chord. If you're not following the chords, then you're not going to follow on much else. There's an avoidance of melody there that feels really, really keen. Um, so that was successful for it being a track that kind of differs from the whole. Uh, and then again, Open Passageways is a track that differs from the whole in it having a chorus. So I think those are really two of my favorites. Um, and then others are more of the curiosities. It's more of the moments and the curiosities that I find most interesting, like the time signatures and the way they develop tracks like Instrumental 2 and Talisman and Blood in the Sand. So actually, really, the last stretch, I think, is infinitely better than the first stretch for me, only because the first stretch, I could not... I could not find that signature thing that made them unique yet as a group. I felt teased in one way or the other when there was like going toward that almost a Jeff Buckley thing, but we never really get the soaring vocals except briefly in the chorus of track one, but it doesn't quite take it to the next level. I like 
the mixing qualities. I like the way they will just completely shift the setting of certain instruments and throw it in another room and then they'll bring it back and then they'll do this booming section where every instrument is jamming out together. These are things that I actually do generally miss, I think, in a lot of... I don't want to say this with such sweeping, you know, uh, confidence, but a lot of modern bands, you know, maybe there is an overall avoidance in uh, the jam setting because everything has to be so tailor-made. You know, everything has to have that that refined production quality with golden ears and producers who are listening for for public appeal and things that are vogue in some sense today. Maybe it's not good that, you know, people are following that in every single instance. I think that even though we've been a little bit unkind to jam band atmospheres in the past, we don't really have, like, a huge pool that we've been drawing from. The big one we bring up um, with some derision is, is Fuego by Fish in episode 102. Okay, we really were not digging that album just because it felt completely aimless. This is not an aimless project, though, by any stretch. This is so much tighter than that case and so many other cases because it feels like well it, honestly it feels like more talented musicians doing the jamming that can cover up any uh flaws or if not flaws discrepancies that we may have in the overall song writing process because it's just they're really good and when you get to that solo you're you're lost in it or enough lost in it that you're like ah, i guess i don't really care where i am maybe that is something to be uh i don't know stoned to, drunk to, on some form of barbiturate, which is probably, I guess, validates, you know, the stoner rock attribution, but I don't want to make that part of my review. It's too shallow of a lens to look at this. Forgetting all that, it incorporates some sense of surrealism. I wish they'd gone farther in that. That could have uh, really pushed this, I think, into the upper echelon for me, where I really could have set aside all of my little songwriting problems and just said, you know what, I am feeling something actively in every moment of this album. That's not quite the case here. It goes back and forth between wanting to be more free and experimental at times and then also wanting to produce something that is tighter, I, I know that's not very me, but it all depends on the work. I think in this case, I, it might have benefited from being a little bit looser, only because they were already closer on, they were on that track to begin with, so just I'll go farther with it, you know? That's, that's basically true with every kind of style and every kind of uh, form visualization that you have behind your work, is just go farther with it, take it to the next level. That's what track they were on, keep with it. Uh, so for me, this is... This is really just short of the fours. I think this is a 3.9. Alrighty, my turn. Um, I guess let's get the negatives out of the way first. I think that's important because I don't. I, I want to try and avoid, for the foreseeable future, ending wrap-ups on down notes, ending tracks on down notes. Like I, I think we should always try and end on an upswing unless it's true trite crap, which we're trying to avoid at this point because our time is worth something is essentially where we're at. I think I started <laughs> negative, then went positive, and then had a little bit of a negative right. twist at the end. But, but um, I, agree. I, I agree in general. For me, emotionally, I didn't really connect anywhere with this album. It's unfortunate. I think there were moments, you know, I'm very a very Steve thing, that there were some emotional moments that Pulled me, but I think on the whole, besides mellowing and um, parts of this is where it all falls apart, I didn't really get a sense of anywhere or anything. Um, I mean, th there's no narrative theme for sure. I mean, musical arc is there. There is one, but we don't. If, well, you, if, it, if, if it's there, okay, yeah, it makes let me sense. It went over our heads. Let me rephrase that. If there is a narrative theme, I am clueless to it. 
Um, musically, the arc is strong. Upon subsequent listens and then actually picking it apart, the blues doesn't stand outside of it as much as I may have thought. Um, and I think it's actually an interesting way to pretty much break up the record from the first three tracks and the remainder of the record. And it really does get stronger from four on, I think. Um, I'm inclined to agree with Steve. I think the first three tracks were okay to not great for me. Um, because I still stand by Dirt Preachers just not really being a great song until the B section, which was a really great song. So it's two and a half, not <laughs> yeah, three yeah, yeah. songs. I remember it yeah, yeah, yeah. a little bit. Um, but I think that, uh, you know, all of that aside, I mean, the, the musicians are phenomenal. They do really cool, great stuff. But again, I'm in a place with Steve because the emotion's not there that I'm more analytically going, oh, that's cool. I wonder why they did that, you know. And also, I am inclined to agree with Steve. I wanted more of this vocalist. I think that there being a lot of instrumentals were great, but I think what might have helped the length of some of these tracks is to throw in more vocals. Which would have probably been the 2017 album. Yeah. It was definitely heavier on the vocals. It was. Yeah. Okay. So, So I might be more inclined to check out their newest album. Which is part of the reason why I brought on this album instead of the new one. Right. But um, but that said, I mean, there are some really cool moments here. I think that um, Steve's right, though. I mean, I don't want to really regurgitate. Steve was pretty elaborate and, and uh, honed in on, on where we are both kind of coming to it. I think I'm a little harsher on it because I really am emotionally void. And that, that hurts my rating a lot because I like to connect somehow. The best way to draw me in, if I'm just not fascinated by the, the, the actual musicality, is to hook me emotionally. And I think the lyrics could have done that because I, I, I really agree with both of you. I think he is... Uh, interesting vocalist, you know, in the vein of other artists we've talked about where they might not be the most talented vocalist we ever heard, but they do interesting things and it draws you in. And I think more of that really would have hooked me. And maybe I will check out the new album. I think that that really hurts it the most. And me not being able to decipher the narrative theme here, I think leaves me in the void a bit. Um, and I'm not a barbiturate user. I am, as uncool it is, as it is, completely straight edge and don't do any substances unless you count coffee as a substance, in which case then I am a horrible abuser. Um, so I don't, I, there's no way to like free my mind as it were to, to accept that. I could see in my days when I did smoke a lot of pot that I might have really indulged in this more, even if I didn't necessarily like it more. Because again, you're not going to be distracted by the things that you get bored with because you're mellowed and you're kind of just going with it. Um, you know, all that said... I've never met a critical pot user. <laughs> no, I mean, I, there are functioning pot users. No, no, I mean in terms of, like, someone oh, who's oh, on pot and then is, like, sitting and being like, I really don't like the section. Yeah, no, true. they're no, just you, you always have, enthralled. <laughs> no, you definitely haven't hung out with enough stoners. <laughs> That's true. I like, you, all right, it, it, it's, an is, it's an isolated group that I'm drawing from. You which have was not most, had... They were mostly impressed I think, by things. I think the, the, the really the thing that hurts this album the most for me is that it does fall apart towards the end a little bit. I mean, track nine, while it has had some moments that I do recall as a whole is a fairly forgettable track. And again, honestly, I think Talisman is a three-part 
opus would have been a really cool way to end. Because um, now I've kind of come around on it where I didn't like Talisman at first because I felt that all the parts were divorced. But I came back around on it because I feel like it's a three... It's 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 three separate pieces that support each other but are not connected. Sort of like the the trifecta at the end of Weezer. Not musically the same, but definitely the same kind of impression on me as far as wrapping up an album. And so I think Blood in the Sand and Milk in the Endless Water, which are clearly two tracks in that final track, don't really have that divide. So then it kind of just derails the 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 way eight wraps up. Um, so that's why I'm going to be just a bit hair harsher than Steve um, and put this at a 3.75. It's definitely not average. It's not upper echelon. I think it's right between those. I think that if I listen to their new record, I might find some of the things I'm missing here. I think before John goes, you may have swayed me a little down. <laughs> I'm sorry. To, a three, to join me at 3.75. For the... Time signature fascination, 3.8. Okay, fine. <laughs> Whatever. John, your turn. Now I get to make my argument of trying to bring you guys back up. Yeah, I know. It's so I'm not going to try. I'm not going to try. I'm going to tell you from my point of view why this is a above 4 album. And I will, right up front, I don't think it can be above 4.5. Like, okay. just core concept-wise, because it is a classic rock. You could pick whatever subgenre of classic rock, but it's hard to get above a 4.5 with something that can be identified as 30, 40 years old. Mm-hmm. It's it's just the core concept of it's already been done so many times. Now, if it was classic rock plus, classic rock plus electronica, classic rock plus new wave, plus this, plus that, plus another thing. Like if you're integrating and pushing boundaries of what music has already done, and trying to explore new ideas instead of pushing the boundaries of what music has done and expanding upon those, then then you're in the four five plus territory. So okay, we're gonna we're gonna call it a four five or less, and it is less because I don't have nearly the same amount, like the total account of problems with this album. It wasn't track one, track two, track halfway through three that I was having issues. It was, okay, sure. Dirt Preacher wasn't the same level when it went from the A to the B, but the, the, the first section was still really good for me. It was really catchy because I, I wasn't looking for emotional connections on this album. I used the word earlier that I was making an emotional attachment, and I did misspeak on that. I'm not making an emotional connection on this album i'm making a cerebral connection and that to me is an on par kind of a concept i think a lot of times when i've done a lot of times when i've explained a emotional connection i am usually referring to it's hitting me in the happies or the sads or the angries but in a lot of cases, not a majority, but in a lot of cases, it's hitting me in a thinking manner. And I love that about music. I love music that makes me think. And I love diving into it and trying to go, I'm having a lot of fun with the count. That's how I opened up the conversation with Steve when I, when I picked him up today. I said, I had a lot of fun counting this album last night, like trying to find the pulse, trying to find the beat, the tempo. That, because, that's one of the reasons why I do this. Yeah. Like, can I tell you guys why I really love this, this, yeah, this it's section the, specifically? The, the, the cerebral exercise I'm getting from this album is something I don't come across every day. 
And that is a, a, a huge positive because it does put it a little bit more on the unique side. And I would agree, but I think I didn't get enough of that for me, which is why it didn't affect my rating as much. But you you also have professed before that you don't go as analytical. Right, for sure. Which is, I like, I like doing Sudoku. I like, <laughs> maybe not crossword puzzles, but number puzzles and things like that. Because like we all know that you're not great with words. I'm terrible with words and worse at spelling. But like when it comes to visualizing something and trying to take it apart with your mind and put it back together with your mind, Rubik's Cubes and things of that sort... I really enjoy that. So this was a musical Rubik's Cube for me, trying to figure it out, trying to parse together how the different sides work. And But when, if that's the case, then can you just, you know, put me on the analyzing sofa for a minute and tell me why, although I find very much about these time signatures, you know, and and things that are going on, little melodies, the drum virtuosity. work. The I find it fascinating. Why am I so low? Why am I not as enamored as I was in some other instances? And that goes back to my first point, in that it is an old style, because these sort of puzzles have been done before in this in this sort of tempo, in this sort of caliber of music. So I'm not I'm not excusing it so much for being old school. But I'm also saying that it's doing old school in a very puzzling and questioning way. That's, I guess, my summation in that it's making me think about it. It's, it's, it's a thought puzzle that is still familiar but has a slant on it that's a little bit different than the previous versions I've done. Which is why a Rubik's Cube kind of works for me because a Rubik's Cube doesn't change. It's, if you go by the core, it's three sides by three sides with six faces. The actual location of each little color may be unique with each different swing, but a Rubik's Cube can be puzzled out in a very mathematical manner. You can, you can figure it out, and people do those speed times and everything like that. Like You can do it. You can get better at it and faster at it and be able to see it without even starting to make that first move. And I think that might be where you're coming from. I don't know, but like most other cases where... I'm on the analyzing sofa. I, I feel like I disregarded what you said and just did my own thinking, but based <laughs> off one little thing that you said, and that was simply that I, I don't think it really has as much to do with the uh, the datedness period. I think it actually has more to do with me. I'm going to recant something from my, uh, my wrap-up. I think it is because of the lack of themes. I think that, that themes and story would tie together these loose ends, and I think that's what I, I really needed um the story was not clear enough the uh the musical themes and the memorability and the involvement was not enough for me to kind of validate that uh the the, the intrigue the the mathematical intrigue i actually avoided looking up any information on what this album means to the band specifically because i didn't want to try to shoehorn something in that we didn't find because i i found a lot of puzzling ideas and i i wanted to go into it without having a preconceived notion of what they they were trying to do between their titles, between their musical choices, between their themes, as far as what style they were doing and everything like that. So, you know what? I'll look into it. I'll come up with their words if I can find them. And we'll see if it meshes. Maybe at a later date, maybe in the year in review or something like that. But we'll do it from that respect. We'll see if we can find a way to, to marry two ideas together. Okay. But for me, the additional, it hit me in the feels in certain spots. Like there were certain spots that made me feel extremely elated. That did make me feel 
a little bit of a malaise or depressed or melancholy. There were enough little emotional bursts on top of that cerebral experience that it it still keeps it above the four. Not particularly high, but a 4.2. 4.2, okay. Okay. Yeah, I mean, we're, 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 we're hitting territory that we've hit before where, you know, there is an expectation that a certain person may look at something more highly because they're just seeing something we don't see. True. And that, that happens sometimes. That's usually what, what, what uh, I, I see something you don't see. That's not true. For most of the albums that have an emotional connection that you've all agreed... You all. No, no, no. The two of you have agreed that I should kind of feel that way. And, you know, even though you rate lower, expected me to rate higher. It's that kind of thing. But but I'm usually the outlier. It's not true. It's just not true, though. I'm usually the outlier. I'm the outcast, damn it. (laughs) See, that's like the hipster's argument, right? You have to argue for it. Oh, no, you're not. No, 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 no. No, but I think it is really uh, interesting as we continue to push on through this this marathon that we're releasing to the world over the next five days and also this idea of updating adjusting and pushing forward our system that we're going to hit new struggles rehash old struggles um i really like the idea of not bringing on something to crap on anymore i, I really do like that it, it adds a value to our time because our time is valuable we're not, it's look whether we have one fan or ten fans or a thousand fans our time is valuable because we do this every damn week yeah. when we can and so and multiple times a week when we need to right <laughs> and so it's it's the, the the idea that once you're doing something of any artistic value for a period of time your time is worth something whether you're nickelback whether you're a bunch of podcasters whether you're bruce springsteen it doesn't matter your time is worth something mm. and considering we keep trying to bring on not just as matt put it things to crap on like trying to find the good out of everything and trying to have that advocacy thing we're also trying and i started with this uh trying to find different ways of approaching music and this to me was a brain album yeah like that's how stoner rock kind of always i viewed and i was into stoner rock before i was a stoner and i'm still into stoner rock to some extent after being a stoner it's been over half a decade since the last time i've been a stoner we'll we'll leave it at that we'll leave it at that um but like i've always viewed it as long contemplative and mellow but also something that you're supposed to parse apart and try to find layers to and try to fit the puzzle pieces around like true good stoner rock true good music that's for a stoner because i can tell you from personal experience when you're a stoner that works great with your mind. Now, when you're high, there's a difference between the two. But when you're stoned, it works great with your mind to have something that is slow but has multiple layers because it keeps you thinking but it gives you the sort of pacing you can move along to very easily. And that's what this album was to me, a cerebral experience of that sort of ilk. But I think it's also important to talk about the tactics involved in doing this podcast. I think that's something that we've not really addressed in the fact that this new system, this way we're approaching things going forward, and probably should have been sooner, makes us have to look for albums differently. We have to sit with them longer. We have to find them differently. I mean, I openly admit that the album that I have on deck for my possible next pick, which isn't the next one we're doing, but after that, um, I... Took me- I honestly took Metacritic, sorted it by rating of highest to lowest, and besides the re-releases, which are always at 100 or 95, I looked in the 80s and said, I want something that this website thinks is really good. Yeah. Because 
that's a good starting point. And honestly, I'm I'm tired of bringing on a, a, a solid something. Like the, bring, you, you need to start somewhere. Right. You know, this wasn't. Um, although I may have inadvertently recanted something that we proposed back in episode two thirty two, Oxymlody by the Flaming Lips, where we the brief experiment of take a chance on an album, yeah. whatever it is, right? Yeah. And then so soon after that, five episodes later, two thirty seven. No, no, take, don't take chances. Just, do things you love, right? Yeah. Do things or things that you would, you would like that for. you would stand up for precisely. But see. You're kind of finding that middle ground, and I'm glad you found it because you take it. You have to take a chance in the beginning, yeah. right? Obviously, listen to the damn thing, right? Yeah. And then once you've done that, be like, all right, is this the thing that I'm going to be able to at least stand up for in some ways over the course of an entire episode? And also, like the tactics evolved even more beyond that because we were talking off the air about the new Phoenix album, which I'm a big Phoenix fan, but I'm more familiar with their later records. Um, I saw the album, was really excited about it, and Steve gave me some details that we'll leave on set now in case maybe we do come back to it mm. that made me think twice about choosing it and I'm going to still listen to it and we'll see but but he mentioned that he was look going to it because they are a great indie rock band and he was looking for some solid indie rock which they are and that made me go huh I wonder what other bands are solid indie rock that I could find and the thing that I'm toying with now that I still have to be a little more familiar with before I actually recommend so I'm not mentioning it yet is I started with they are a indie rock band and I was like okay there's a thing they're highly rated on Metacritic in the mid 80s okay their uh, fan rating I believe but user rating is somewhere in the sevens which is solid as well so I'm like all right let, this is a good starting point yeah. let's see where we go from here and I think it's just really interesting that we've been doing this for so long and. I'm only going to speak for myself but I found myself either choosing something I really. A band I really liked, and not having a clue what the new album was like, or choosing an artist I was very familiar with. Like when I picked Sting at the beginning of the year, it was because I know Sting really well. He's been around a long time. I know a lot of his music, right. but I didn't know that album at all. Yeah, and it ended up still being a good album to discuss. But you know, I think if I'd listened to it more, I might have been less inclined to choose it. The next pick I'm going to potentially do. I want to sit with it for a while. Uh -huh. It's going to be hard to do because we're doing a lot, but it's going to be <laughs> after the 250. Definitely, if I do bring it on, uh, Rag and Bone Man, yeah. because of the his single, uh, Human, which was played ad nauseum as an advertisement. It's an earworm. It's yeah. an earworm that I really love in spite of it being an earworm. In, sure. spite, in spite of it being like just all over ads, especially for one of my favorite games of the, like the past year, uh, Mass Effect Andromeda. Like right. it was the song for that. Well, I mean, that's where you started trailer. with uh, um, Cage the Elephant. Started with yes. Borderlands, and so. And I don't know if I'm going to love or hate the album. I really don't care. I just yeah. am curious. Is like, is that the caliber of the rest of the album? Like right. that's how I was finding that one. It was, it was presented to me in a, a, an advertisement first. Right. So it was. Is it's it's everything else capable of being a a good advertisement album or bad? And that's yeah. I was like, maybe I should bring this album on. I mean, from that direction, a, right? Catchiness is a good reason to bring an album on. If anything else, I mean, it's just as good a reason. Yeah. You know, it's why I brought on Robbie Williams back in the day because I loved that single. We all agreed that single was really great. You know, the other, the album had its own problems beyond that, but it, as a starting point, it was a great starting point. It didn't turn out to be a great album, but it was a great starting point. There, I, there are probably some albums that I definitely have, you know, defended just just for the sake that they are catchy. Yeah. But also, I, I remember the jump run up advertisements. Even though it seems extremely unlikely, a recent um, 
composer, kind of jazz, classical fusion composer from Russia, Nikolai Kapustin, who is kind of a recent favorite of mine, or at least within the last like two, three years. I actually stumbled upon in the most unlikeliest of ways because there was an advertisement for, uh, I think it was like, I think it was one of the Grand Theft Auto games, right? <laughs> uh-huh. And it was like this, ex- it was this elaborate piano introduction as they were showing the car being put together, like this, yeah. this car being assembled. I think that was Lowriders and or the new military uh, expansion that's going to be coming out. It yeah. could have been that. I'm not exactly sure. I didn't care about that franchise. Yeah. I, I wasn't even looking like I was actively looking for advertisements of that. I think it was just probably a, a YouTube ad or something that yeah. they slapped onto the beginning of, you know, some other thing I was watching. And I was just like, what is this? I need to find the source of this. So, yeah, advertisements can be pretty influential, all things considered. I think it was really just the fact that I, it was their connection with, like, the, the industry and the mechanics of putting the car together and seeing the engine and all of its thousands and thousands and thousands of parts and then hearing this this complex piano bass line and out of there's something about that fusion that was just like very very set me right on the path of like i want to hear everything that nikolai kapusta has ever written wow <laughs> it's framing from yeah grand theft auto yeah, yeah, yeah. From grand theft auto um yeah. but i think you know and that's why i brought this up initially and i'm glad that we all kind of brought up something that is leading us to possibly picking things i think or at least thinking of certain things in different ways i think oh. that Kapustin, don't die on me <laughs> he's very old um but you know i I really like that. I like, and also, I'm a big fan of uh, self-analysis, too, especially after a certain amount of time, we do have to come back to ourselves, because we've been doing this a long time, and while it's funny, so I had a conversation, and this is a slight tangent before we take into, we go into Steve's... Um, definition and pick. And, 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 definition talk, and pick, yeah. yeah he's going to be talking for a while. Oh, wow. yeah. um, my friend Jeremy uh, Newman, who um, is starting a podcast with his wife... Um, called me to ask me for advice, you know, things that I didn't do in the beginning that I might do, you know, suggestions of gear, suggestions of all sorts of stuff. And he's like, you're a podcast expert. And I went, but I'm not. And he's like, dude, you have three podcasts and you've been doing one for almost five years. That's an expert or at least someone who is very versed in it. I never really thought about it that way, but I guess I do have a lot of information on podcasting. But I think the thing that keeps us going, keeps us moving, is that we're always analyzing ourselves and we never consider us to be the best. We just consider ourselves to be well versed. And I think it's an interesting way at looking at oneself through a lens that allows you to continue to grow and change. Oh, I wonder if we're at 10,000 hours yet. Oh, you know, I don't know. I but guess I'm... who gets to figure that out? <laughs> not that hard. <laughs> iTunes will do that for but, Oh, that's true. Yeah. Uh, well, 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 no, because not all of our episodes are on iTunes. Remember, we can only have the most recent 100. You import the actual files, though, in an yeah. actual media library, and yeah. then you put them together. That'll tell you. And it doesn't actually take into effect any additional hours we did learning and, and, and working uh, yeah, on it yeah. beforehand. Considering we listened for at least an hour before every single episode. And, and the discuss. recording actually takes more than the time that we release. And the cuts. editing that I do, oh God. Yeah, <laughs> and the promotion and marketing that I do, oh, oh God. God. Whatever number you come up with, Steve, for the amount of time that me and Matt have spent on this, you probably should double for yourself. <laughs> yeah, probably. Oh, um, um, but, uh, but yeah, it's just I think it's interesting to always look at ourselves, and I thought that the tactics of how we choose albums and the fact that we got some three very fairly varied answers or... Source points is also really interesting, too. All right. Word of the day time. What do you, and this actually is a very familiar term, so I'll be very disappointed if you don't know. No pressure. What do you think the Entourage is? Entourage? 
It's a pers. It's French. E N T R apostrophe A C T E. This is not just used in uh, musical. A C T. Period. Is e. that apostrophe A C T? Apostrophe A C T E. A C T. Entract. The opening act. Not the opening act. The, the closing, closing act. act. Not the closing act. Intermission? That it's an act. The the inter act, yes. The, the intermission. The interval between acts. Interlude. Yeah, you're in the right department here. It would be the interval between acts or the, uh, yeah, an interval. Um, between acts of a, either a musical or, you know, a play, any kind of thing like that, um, where music is performed in that intermission. Uh, okay, so okay. I, I was thinking like entourage plus act as in a preceding or following force to support there. a piece. Well, I'll give you the, some prefix points for the, uh, who said closing? You said right. closing. I said, I said closing. I he said, said cl- opening. opening no, first. Matt gets the points only because Anter. No, I can't even believe I'm giving you pity points for this because Anter <laughs> almost found sounds like Anta, which is like antebellum is after war, right? Right. So that's after. So Anta, Anter, but just because of the feel yeah. of it. But anyway, it's enter. So anyway, you're wrong. All right. Well, I should have thought entourage, people following around a specific uh, individual to support them. Not helping still. Uh, the fact no, that you're comp- they have the same root. Yes, but... They're both French. Not yes, but. My mind was in the correct place, the same place as yours. You were just still wrong. I was taking a gamble. I don't listen to Steve. Sometimes (laughs) you gotta know when to hold him, you gotta know when to fold him. I don't fold. That's everything that's That's wrong with John's life. That's true, John doesn't fold. John does not listen to me, and that's his problem. problem He does call. I raise. All the time. All right, uh, Steve, uh, continue to uh, entice us and tell us what we are doing next week. Entice you? Well, I don't know if this is going to entice you or not, but I can offer a little bit of connectivity, only with what maybe I wanted a little more of out of this, even though it was perhaps wanting the wrong thing. But that's only coincidence. Only coincidence that what we will be getting in the next episode, or well, that would be tomorrow, as your listeners experience it in our little five-week lineup here, um, is something more in the surrealist vein. But that's only as I see it. That's only as I hear it. There is an interesting story behind this guy, and the guy's name is Richard Dawson. Apparently, he has not always played music. He is, uh, he's, he's from the UK, and I believe he worked in a record store for most of his, I guess, working life. Uh, that I don't know if he actually played a lot of music on the side. He certainly didn't release any material, because it's from what I read, it sounded like he just bought a guitar uh, out of the blue, and then he broke it very soon after he bought it. Didn't really learn very much yet, but he, he it broke, and then he got it repaired. And when he got it back from being repaired, he thought it sounded had a very interesting sound. It was odd. It was it didn't sound like a normal guitar. It sounded like a unique beast. And he decided, well, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And in this case, it was actually <laughs> broke. Well, r- broke before being yeah, repaired, yeah. before whatever. And then he decided to make that his primary instrument. And he, he writes everything using this guitar. He takes it everywhere. And he has basically formed his entire singing style around what sounds like an act of serendipity. Interesting. And what's the album called? The album is called Peasant. This is not his first album. Like I said, he's been doing this for at least a little while uh, once this thing happened. Maybe around 2008, I guess, mm-hmm. is when he started. Oh, 07 was oh, his seven. first okay. album. Richard Dawson sings songs and plays guitar. That's what it was called. <laughs> that's, exactly that's a great what it was album called. title, actually. Phenomenal. I love right. that. <laughs> that's uh, as indie as it gets. Yeah, um, that's true. All yeah, right. this is interesting. I, I can't even verify whether this is my tastes or not, but this is 
This is off the wall, man. All right. Very off the wall. I'm I'm intrigued. Color me intrigued. Haha. I don't. I've never discovered that color. I've looked in the Crayola boxes. Even the there's the, probably an intrigued crayon. It's definitely even, not a primary color. I know that. Even sure. in the one because there are only three box, primary colors. It depends if you're talking about visual or pigment because there's different primary colors, <sighs> visual and pigment. Never mind. All right. Before this gets out of hand, I'm just going to wrap us up by saying music is life I'm and life is good. If you enjoyed this and other album analyses, topics, and guests, please subscribe to the Crash Chords Podcast on iTunes, where you can also rate us and review us. For more media, also subscribe to Matt's one-on-one interview series, Crash Chords Autographs. To receive emails on all new content, subscribe at the top of our homepage. Also receive updates by liking us on Facebook, following us on Twitter at Crash Chords Web, our Tumblr, and our YouTube channel. And remember, keep the discussion going, because music is life, and life is good. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to share them in the comment board below each post. Otherwise, email us directly at admin at crashchords.com.